Yes, yes, y'all, it's going down right now. Episode 75 of the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror podcast is coming at you live. I am your host, Mood616. And of course, I've always got my homeboy, my stepson, the humble one, the golden child, Double Shot J, also known as JP. What's going on, homies? Yo, we're back. We took a little bit of a break there, right? <laughs> Just a little bit, yeah. And, I, you know, on that note, I was actually scratching my arm because I'm peeling. I got burnt. <laughs> yeah, because you went on vacation, huh? Yeah, I was, uh, went, did a couple weeks in Cancun. And I swear to good, I swear to the good Lord, man, there is absolutely nothing left for an ozone layer. Like, I was wearing, I, I usually <laughs> don't burn that much, but I, I'm wearing like 45 and I'm fucking burning. I'm like, I don't even have fair skin. I'm like, what the hell is wrong with this world if you're burning wearing like 45, like, it that doesn't make any sense so but yeah no it was a good trip man it was nice to get away for a couple of weeks you know kind of get rid of uh you know the mental state and the grind that is home and you know go to an unfamiliar place well it's familiar to me i guess a little bit but uh no it was nice it was nice good weather drank a lot of beer you know it was a different type of trip for me this time around because uh i have my son with me and uh yeah it's weird going on vacation with a kid because you can't do necessarily all the things that you were prone to doing before <laughs> you yeah, know like you have, going to, club you have to schedule around a little bit more well yeah i just honestly just had to be responsible <laughs> <laughs> so you know it was that thing you know so we spent a lot of time just you know on the beach building sandcastles because it was quite windy like there was a lot of waves and he was very he was pretty much scared to go near the water because i mean it's really rough right yeah you get you know i mean he'd go near the water get a wave would hit him and he'd literally be doing like somersaults he's like <laughs> fuck this i'm out of here man but then again you see adults the same thing would happen to them too so spent a lot of time just on the beach and then swim up bar which was you know kid friendly too so you know the kids would be playing in there and have some beers and things so it, it was a good trip man i had fun i had fun it was nice to get away that's good. So what were you up to these last couple weeks? Well, before I get into what I was up to, uh, fun fact about myself, I've actually never been to the ocean or the beach anywhere. Uh, and I lived in Florida and I lived in South Carolina for about a year each. And I've never, Damn. I never went to the beach ever in that's, my life. You lived in Florida and you never <laughs> went to the beach. That's insane. Even South Carolina. That's crazy, man. Uh-huh. That's, that's so crazy. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, it's salty, man. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's an odd thing about me. Like I've had opportunities. I remember when I was in high school, a lot of my friends did these like summer trips where as soon as summer happened, they would all like rent like a little thing down at the beach or something. And then they would, uh, you know, go party for like a week straight. And, you know, it costs a lot of money to do that. And I just never I never got motivated enough to like save the money during the winter months to then have it during the summer. So I just would never go, um, but I always kind of, always kind of wanted to a lot. As soon as they would get back, they'd tell me about it and be like, "Oh yeah, I'm definitely going next year." And then it would roll around. And I'd just be like, ah, "I think I'm gonna skip it." <laughs> um, I don't know why. I don't know why. I just, uh, I just always did. But besides that, man, th- th- these past couple weeks, uh, it it's been weird. like I don't even remember when we record. It, it feels like we recorded so long ago, but didn't. I think we just well, uploaded the show. Uh, we recorded the show a week before we actually uploaded it. It was like a yeah. weird thing. When did we actually record? It was like the third, right? The fourth. 
Um, yeah, yeah, we, that's right. Cause I left on the seventh and we recorded on that, uh, that Thursday, that prior Thursday. So yeah, like the third or something, uh, yeah. which is weird. Yeah. Because we generally record on Thursdays or Fridays and upload by, Monday. you know, Monday. Right. So yeah, in, in this case it was a whole nother week. So yeah, I mean, we haven't, uh, recorded in what, three weeks then. Yeah. So it's been yeah, it's three been weeks. A, exactly. It's been so. a while, but you know, since then, uh, we've actually, did a few different things you know since since the last time it was me and you on an episode uh we've done which was the valentine show i believe uh when it was just me mm-hmm. and you we all also did uh the mini shots that we uploaded which turned out to go over really well that was sort of just uh that yeah, was actually surprised. the fifth volume but i think it's most people's first time hearing that little thing that we did and uh, I believe it's actually your first appearance besides bloopers on it. You did a review of Hangman. I did a review of The Witch. And then me and you and Brandon did that critique to critics. And me and Kyle did a review of Cabin Fever 2016 with a bunch no, of other randomness. I actually think I was on the first mini shots because oh, remember it was the baby. It was the baby. Remember? Which actually was a lost segment for a <clears throat> other show called A Double Shot of Horror that me and you recorded. That's right. Yeah, we were supposed to record this this podcast, um, or yeah, that episode for your show, and uh, it fell through. The other guest didn't show up, so we just said, ah, whatever. Anyways, you were being sneaky, and you decided that you were going to record our conversation. <laughs> it turned out that we just like talked about it, and you just put it into the. It's kind of a cool idea, actually. It just it was kind of natural. Yeah, which always happened before we started podcasting when we used to do these late night Skype chats, and before that, we yeah. was using like Tiny Chat. And we mm-hmm. would just start talking about a movie that we had both seen and we'd essentially review it to nobody, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so like, then we was like, why don't we start recording these, you know, and the whole podcast came about. But that, that many shots was really fun. I had a blast putting it together. You contributed with some of your own personal uh, music that you created over the years. And uh, we blended it in with some other music. And it turned out it turned out really good, I thought. And I thought that all of the <clears throat> reviews and stuff were really good as well. Yeah, I, I had a blast listening to that, man. Yeah, I just it, – it went together really well, like all these different types of musics and different reviews and, uh, you know, you did like your fake commercials. and Like there was just a lot of really cool things. It was – the two hours went by really quick. It just – it flew by for me. So that was really yeah, cool. Absolutely. Yeah. And then uh, then we did upload the uh, Exploding Heads featuring uh, – or. 22 shots featuring exploding heads. Let me get that right. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. The, uh, top 10 of 2002, which took so much preparation. And with that, uh, I thought the show turned out really good, much like our top 10 of 2015. And uh, if you haven't heard it yet, definitely check it out, guys, listening to this. Yeah. Uh, if you, you know, yeah, I ended up uploading to my channel like a few days after so if, i know people were asking me they kept messaging me and stuff I'm like where's the podcast where's the podcast and i'm like guys it's you can check it out on horphilia <laughs> you know yeah. it's not just on my channel so but yeah. that was the reason why i was of course i was on vacation i couldn't do it yeah that's the interesting would, or uh that's the interesting about thing about our our show in particular versus other podcasts is we really have like two separate entities of viewers uh we we get you know a certain amount of uh, downloads on Horophilia and iTunes, but then we get an equal or greater or sometimes lesser amount on your channel, which is insane when you think about it and you put those two 
big numbers together and you have mega numbers. It's it's awesome, yeah. really. And I feel like a lot of the people that watch on your channel aren't necessarily the people that are in the group page and stuff like that. So it really feels like we have multiple sections of listeners. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think in those are the type of people too that are not dropping down that description box and you know reading the you know the description and the links because oh, then yeah. or maybe that maybe they are I don't know but you know I would rather people if they want to click on or whatever you know head over to Horophilia and uh, you know download the show you know or whatever so yeah absolutely click yeah. those links click and those you links. can do it on your phone as well you can download it straight to your phone from the Horophilia website. Uh, another thing that we did, Moods, is uh, we announced that our next top 10 show is going to be 1996, which is uh, <laughs> such a bizarre year. We previewed that year, so be on the lookout for that. It'll be a long time down the road, but I'm pretty sure we're going to try to get the ins- Exploding Heads guys back. People seem to like when we all come together for these mega shows and top yeah, 10 lists. Exploding, the, the Exploding Heads Horror Podcast, the second most popular podcast on horror failure behind the 22 shots of moods and horror <laughs> yeah but they kind of beat us last time yeah you know i just i don't read the number i'm i'm just not reading the numbers like that oh you yeah know? Well, obviously, <laughs> well you know what happened right yeah they well whatever man we had, show and we got had a bump shows yeah we had four <laughs> shows in the top 10 they're only doing two you know whatever man i'm just you know yeah we're, but... we're, we're doubling them man <laughs> so uh besides that we we did do one other thing that i want to plug right now because uh it's it's an experiment and that is the disturbing cinema podcast which me you and kyle yes. did where we completely dissected the film martyrs and this is a test run guys so if if you haven't heard it please do and feedback is crucial for the you know potential future of that show Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you want us to keep going, yes. with it, you definitely need to uh, listen to it because we're going to judge it by the numbers and and the reaction to it. And by the time you guys hear this podcast, uh, the disturbing cinema disturbing cinema podcast will be up on my channel. Like you'll be able to check it out there, and of course, horophilia too. So be on the lookout in those places for it. Definitely check it out. It's a really really good episode. Um, I think we, all three of us were very proud of how we dissected that and, uh, you know, discussed martyrs. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I thought it turned out great and I would love we have so many other films that we would like to do. But if nobody's going to listen to it, then we're, we're just going to not do it. So listen mm-hmm. to it. Damn it. <laughs> I mean, I thought I thought we did such a good job on the episode that, you know, it's even it's even kind of deferred me from watching the remake. Like, you know, I really try to focus on when the new year starts, you know, I try to watch as many films from the, the, you know, the present year, you know, just in preparation for the year end show and stuff like that. And, um, I've watched to now like 14 and I, I have martyrs sitting like right here and I just can't bring myself to watch it because I don't want to have, you know, what we did, we just dissected it so much and it's still so fresh in my mind that I really just, I want to be dis- fully disconnected from that, and, you know, before I sit down and watch mm-hmm. the remake because I don't want anything to influence. I just want to kind of go in with a clear head. You know, I can dissociate myself with the original material a lot, but in this case, I'm finding that I'm really, I'm just dreading watching it. I don't feel like, you know, personally, I can give, you know, 100% proper attention to the film and really kind of, you know, take it for what it is yeah. right now. So I just feel like I just I need to mature a little more yeah. something like that. It's kind of a weird thing. I know I'm taking this a little too far and like I'm, it probably shouldn't be 
I be, be thought about it, you know, that hard put, you know, I don't shouldn't be putting that much thought into it. But at the same time, I just want to be true to myself. It's about, you know, the viewing for myself. And um, I just I'm having just I'm having a hard time with it. It's been sitting here and I'm just like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know I exactly know. what you mean. And it's one of those films that if the if the original martyrs never existed, you would watch it and be like, oh, that was a pretty good movie. But because the original Martyr, Martyrs does exist and you've seen it, it's just – it's so hard to disconnect it because it is literally the same film with changes. It's so yeah. rough, it's so rough to try to review that and be unbiased because you're going to be no matter what. You're going to make those comparisons. So I yeah. just decided to say screw it throughout that – through the unbiasedness out the window and I reviewed it as if – and I compared it to the, the the original, which you know might be a bad thing, but it was impossible not to do. Much like the Cabin Fever remake, I do think Cabin Fever remake is a better remake because it's more fun. Martyrs is just it it's just the same movie, but not as good. And that's much like Cabin Fever, but at least Cabin Fever actually improved on certain aspects, which is pretty crazy to say. But it's it like improved all the minor flaws that the original cabin fever had but because it improved minor flaws you still have these mega flaws that that are are just there because it's a lesser film it's kind of Mm -hmm. a good one to review as well these direct remake things are hard to review yeah yeah i i still i'm still blown away that this cabin fever remake exists right now i don't know why (laughs) i'm so blown away just came out since it's literally came out since we've been doing this podcast like which isn't very long <laughs> well yeah i guess right so cabin fever 3 came out in the remake since we've been doing this yeah yeah um i don't know it just it seems to me it's one of those films i'm just like maybe that's what it is maybe it is because cabin fever 3 just came out and i'm like really like we need a remake already but um but i think also is because when part 3 came out they announced that it was in in the works like right after that release <laughs> yeah. right like it was so close after, and I'm like, they just released part three. They're gonna make a remake, and then we find out that it's basically a shot for shot remake. I don't know. I've never been able to fully wrap my head around this, but I don't know. I mean, you know, I'll eventually check it out. You know, yeah. It, it yeah. seems like I'm this sure year you'll a lot get to it before and... the end of the year, and we do our top yeah. ten of 2016. Uh, but another thing that I did want to mention, moods, is I forgot to mention this in previous episodes, but we put a challenge out a while back about iTunes reviews. And I do oh, think yeah, yeah. we ended up hitting the 10 reviews before the cutoff date. So uh, we're going to have to have some sort of contest. I believe it was the class of Nukem High or Return to Nukem High Volume 1 or 2. Like I forget what you said we'd give away, but we're probably mm-hmm. going to have to give that away now. So everybody okay. who left an iTunes review will put your name in a hat and at a future episode we'll uh, – We'll pick the winner and then we'll figure out how we're going to do the prize. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned for and, that. And we'll also fully figure out the prize too. I, you know, I mean, I could give away Class of Newcomb High Part 2, but then again, if you don't own Part 1, it's like, well, I have Part 2 now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I put this person in a compromising position. Now they have to go either import the UK Blu-ray or look for the, the region one out of print trauma DVD that doesn't look as good. And I, I'm just, I feel like I'm just doing this person uh, dishonored. Like I, I feel like I'm putting them in, you know, in a very compromising position. If yeah. I do that. So the point is it's going to be something cool. Don't worry about it. Okay. Yeah. So don't worry about it. 
guys. One of you are going to win something. Uh, and, you know, besides that, I kind of wanted to throw this out there. And I didn't talk to you before the show about this. But um, I do feel because today, we, those of you who don't know, haven't read the title, which is nobody, uh, we're doing what we watched volume volume three. Volume three. Yeah. Last The last time we did this was Trey. episode 43. Which episode forty three? Wow, yeah, which long. was quite a while ago. So I was looking at something else that we did back then. Episode forty, viewers choice, volume two. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You think it's time to do another one? Yes, I do think so. I mean, the original idea behind viewers choice was we were going to do one every twenty episodes, but we didn't really think this through completely considering how the math works. I think the first one came on episode 20. Then the second one was episode 40. And if you know your, you know, your math table and you <laughs> by twenties, you're eventually going to hit episode hundred. <laughs> Do we yeah, really want which, that as episode hundred? Probably. Well, not. it would have been so. the easy way out. Like we would have just been like, well guys, we got to do it. I mean, that was the original plan. And then we wouldn't have had to think of anything cool. Uh, so it might have been worth it but so basically we do want to do another viewers choice uh because Mitch just agreed to it so uh how that worked those of you who are like sort of new to the show which there are people that constantly tell me like well i just started going through the back catalog i started listening at episode 60 and i'm like whoa uh so uh which is a bad episode to start by the way the night the demon show was episode 60 but anyway uh basically you guys suggest films that you want us to talk about and then there's like a i'll compile them and then there'll be a vote and then we'll pick uh three films to review in the viewers choice show volume three so Mm-hmm. If you have any suggestions, when this episode posts... Lots of places to leave the comments, man. Yeah. You can leave them on Horphilia. You can leave them on my channel, the podcast or the Facebook page. Lots of places. We'll get them. Yeah, we'll get them, uh, hopefully. Um, so uh, my, my favorite place for you to leave them is in the comments of the Facebook pinned post of this episode. Uh, yeah. So we will do another viewer's choice sometimes, sometime down the road. So uh, get those titles, suggestions in. Uh, also, I think there was one other thing that I wanted to mention, but I kind of forgot about it. Oh, yeah. Episode 100. I think it's time to start brainstorming on what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Because episode 50. I There's don't know been some it's... pretty good episode or episode. There's been some pretty good ideas thrown at us for that episode. Um you know, the 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 one that's been repeated over and over again is like top 100 uh, not favorite films of all time, like the top 100 horror films of all time. That is really – that's tough. It is tough. It, it <laughs> it's is tough. really, really tough, man. It's really tough. And, you know, like we always say, lists are all subjective and, you know, just based on opinion and things like that. So, But, you know, it, it would still be – it would be – fun to do it would be very hard considering how i think that we put in a lot of time for episode 50 and then you know and compiling hundred another 50 exactly it'd be like two. basically you know basically what we would be doing is doubling our work um probably even tripling it because you really like the best horror film we're not talking about our favorites that's an easy list to do. I can I can put together a hundred list because it changes all the time. I can be like, here's my hundred, here's my hundred favorite horror films right now. But if you're talking about the best, those are two different lists. That's the thing that people don't understand about lists is sometimes they're just 
These are my favorites. This um, this isn't a bonafide list, but if you're making a bonafide top hundred list, holy fuck! <laughs> I, I think that it's it would be work, possible. Man. It does a little bit of a sort of becomes problematic is the fact that the the show is now compiled of two people instead of the third, which made the fifty show a little bit easier because when we had a split, then the third person would pick, uh, and it would be you know majority rules. Uh, yeah. The only thing that I could think is if we brought in some of the guests, if we have a split, some of the people we had on the show like Kyle and Dave and Brandon and uh, Matt and even Steve because I feel like those guys are like official members of the 22 Shots universe now or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, it would be – I mean, if you guys are absolutely nuts about us doing it, then – it might be something that we would be like sort of forced and would, I guess, choose to do. Uh, but if there's any other ideas you have, please share them. Like it's crucial. Like the Most reason definitely. the episode 50 happened, which is arguably one of our best episodes and arguably uh, in terms of downloads and views and stuff are our most. I'm viewed still, episode. I'm still really shocked about episode 50 and the amount of, you know, like, you know, negativity that didn't come towards us. From that <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was the odd comment that was like, oh, how can you guys do a top 50 episode when you haven't seen the Omen? And I think they was referring to, I don't know Me. which one of you guys hadn't seen that. Was it you? Yeah. But I mean, things like that. But I was really surprised at how much positivity came from that episode. I was like, wow. Like, you know, it was just amazing that more people were like, oh, where is this? Where is that? This should have been higher. This should have been lower. You know, like just the, the typical type comments. But it was a lot of really f- good feedback. So that's that's good for. Yeah, that you know, makes me feel we have to good. Move on yeah. And to bigger, you know, to bigger episodes, like, say, if we're doing a top 100 for 100, you know, that, that's good. That's good motivation. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, the, the episode 50 turned out really great. And that was actually suggested by one of you. Um, I'm not exactly sure who suggested it. I but, think honestly it was uh was it Lewis? I don't I, think it was Lewis. Nah, he's not that smart. Um <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I think it might have been and I, I always am afraid to say this person's name. Uh I, Sasa? The the chick? Uh, or, or like one Asian listener? Yeah, it, it could have it could have been actually that that's that's a good guess. Yeah. That's a good guess. I'm, but I'm I mean, regardless, it was sure. a good idea and it was, you know, it was something that we rolled with and that's what we like to, uh, and it, and it turned out so good. I mean, that's really one of my proudest episodes. Cause we worked hard on that too. And <laughs> we put a lot of time into that episode, man. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Like so yeah. much time that Jeremy was literally like complaining, like where he'd just be like, we get stuck. Well, complaining, some, um, complaining and he'd be like, come on, just pick a fucking whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ah, good size. Good yeah, but size. that was yeah. Really fun to do, and I could I could see us doing it for a hundred films. Um, I I feel like we would. I honestly feel like we would be able to pull it off. But it, it, let's let's just see what the listeners say. I th- I think we should make episode hundred like you know straight up gang related man like we we get all the homies in there you know from all ends of the country and stuff. We got like Matt, Kyle. We get exploding head. Like we have like this. We have like this this freaking just circle of love, you know? Yeah. And we, and, we, and we do whatever the topic or whatever the show is going to be, but just have a lot of different voices and opinion. I think it'd be fun. I think it'd be really cool to just kind of have this, like just this huge collaboration type deal. I think it'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. That could definitely be cool. 
yeah, I mean, a uh, hundred <laughs> is not far from still nothing. trying to take that win. And he's like, yeah, I think, I think well, I, can... I'm, I was just trying to thinking how out. like the, the schedule, like <laughs> scheduling. And I was just like, it just went into full blown panic mode because <laughs> right. we have such a hard time. But we do know that like, well, with, you know, with a few of the guys like, you know, Matt and, uh, you know, uh, the exploding heads guys and stuff, we've done things on Thursdays, you know, so, you know, if Kyle can't make it, well, whatever. Fuck yeah. Kyle. <laughs> yeah, no, fuck Kyle. Um, but uh, no, you know what I'm saying. But I think it'd be kind of cool to just 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 have like a huge, uh, you know, group on the yeah, episode. I think yeah, I mean, it's like the biggest you know anniversary. You know, that's like probably the biggest milestone you could come up with. Like, because 250, like, yeah, it's a milestone, but nothing's as big as that hundred. You know? Yeah. And people out there are probably thinking, well. Fuck you guys talking about this for it's like episode 75 right now. Well, we thought that episode 50 was so far away when we first kind of brought it up in like episode 30. We're like, oh fuck, we got forever, and all of a sudden it was and like it just freaking creeped. Holy it shit. just came so fast on us, and we all like, of a sudden it was like know. episode 36 and it was 41, and we're like, holy fuck, like we really, really need to crack down and get this shit done. So yeah, it's only 25 episodes away. So yeah, you know, yeah, who knows? I mean, it, I don't know. It could be, it could be later than sooner. It could be sooner than later. I don't know. Yep. Don't know. But yeah, you got anything else? No, nope, that was it. You got that's it. That's everything. Okay, cool. Alrighty. So, do we got some news? Do we got yeah, some news? Yeah, yeah. You know, cool. I've been away. I've been away so long, and like I really like honestly when I was on vacation, I really was not even, even reading things that like there must be there must be like some things that i definitely miss so i'm kind of excited for this yeah well the thing is i i honestly didn't pick much news from like the past anything before like last week um and it's just because there was so much different things that happened and honestly when we were taking a break i kind of was avoiding news altogether just because it was a nice like refreshing like vacation for me to not have to like dig through this stuff uh, so I just kind of – I've seen some things here and there, but for the most yeah, part, I hear some that. stuff this last week. So first up here, we have just a little announcement for an acquisition. Uh, it is called Telltale Heart, and it is starring Rose McGowan. And it is, I guess, a, uh adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe's classic short story, Telltale Heart. And yeah, I, I just thought it story. was kind of an interesting um, casting with Rose McGowan, you know. Of course, she was in Scream and uh, uh, Planet, Planet Terror. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it right now, man. That awesome, sexy machine gun has her leg. Yeah, I'm yeah. Like poster right now. <laughs> Oddly enough, my microphone's actually sitting on a huge Edgar Allan Poe book. I think I've mentioned that before that I always just have it sitting right here. It's like yeah. inspiration. There's I, that makes no fucking sense. <laughs> I don't know what the hell I'm talking about anymore. But uh, but yeah, uh, Alchemy, the uh, company that will be in the news a little later. Uh, just announced that they have the home video rights to Telltale Heart, and it's going to hit DVD and VOD April 5th of 2016. Uh, so, yeah. Cool. Uh, and now back to Alchemy. Alchemy is a company that I wasn't too familiar with, but apparently they're running into some financial woes, and one of the films that they picked up was Rob Zombie's 31. Uh, and earlier this week we found out that rob zombie kind of announced that uh the film has been delayed i didn't even know if it had a release date before it got delayed but he said it was delayed and uh 
he was switching distributors or you know whatever you want to call it and instantly the one thing that i thought of was oh well when the green inferno went under the company that was you know putting out the green inferno when they went under it became like a huge legal thing and then it took like an entire year for the green inferno to finally find its home at blumhouse all that paperwork and shit right yeah and even rob zombie said that in his little press release that you know it's a lot of lawyers and paperwork and stuff so it's going to take a while to figure out what's going on and then you know, today, it turns out that uh, Rob Zombie's 31 is going to be released. Uh, it's going to have its f- world premiere, which is a little different than being released. I've seen a lot of news sites reporting, like, release, release, and everybody thinks that that means, like, oh, I'm going to be able to see it. Well, not the average person, because it's getting its world premiere September 16th, which is at Sundance. Uh, so... But that has to be a good sign that it's going to be released like sooner with uh, North American uh, rights, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, at least, this, at least this thing is getting released, though. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen, like who the – like who's going to put out like the is – like is it going to have a thea- like big theatrical run or like what? Is it going to be more like Lords of Salem? I don't know. Well, I mean, it was, it's playing in festivals right now. Um, I mean, it obviously is. I, I actually had somebody message me the other day, um, which I, I haven't responded to him, but I did read it. And, uh, he said that he actually saw a screening of 31. <laughs> he didn't, he didn't say anything about it, but he said that he's looking forward to, you know, the, the unrated version or the different version, or whatever that's being released on DVD. I'm like, how is, if you're seeing that in a, you know, you know, in the festivals and stuff, wouldn't it be the unrated version? Like most likely. Yeah. You hmm. would think so. And then maybe just cut it down for the, I don't know. I don't know. I thought that was kind of interesting, but regardless, I really don't understand why, you know, other companies aren't jumping at this. I mean, it's Rob zombies. Don't his films do pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure they have all done fairly well. I would assume. I would actually, I would actually like to know how many, you know, companies, you know, if there was like a bidding war for it and things like that, like, like the whole behind the scenes with that, because it just seems like it's a film that, you know, if I was running, you know, say even Screen Factory, I mean, they've got this deal with IFC, they release a lot of contemporary films and things like that. Um, You know, not just IFC, I mean, they released obviously the battery and a couple other films that, you know, are just pickups, right? And uh, why, like, do you think that they even went after or even tried to or what the deal like do you, do you ever like ever even kind of think about that yeah i i mean i do a little bit um i i don't i always wonder how you think that these bigger companies general would I, work i mean like obviously he if he has this film and you know like why would you shop around to these smaller type companies and things like that where just isn't it about the money at the end of the day really yeah. You know, these bigger companies, do you think they'd just be able to do you think they jump all over it? I don't know. Rob Zombie's career is just so fascinating to me that mm-hmm. he just has so many problems with everything, it seems like. And I don't know. I, all I'm saying is if I had a company that was doing really well and you know, I heard that, you know, Rob Zombie's making this film and it's you know, he's looking for distribution and stuff, well, like I'd be jumping all over that shit. Well well, maybe that's what happened. Maybe this alchemy company jumped all over it and they spent way more than they could actually afford. And it kind of got him into some hot they water. They fucking bankrupt. They bankrupted themselves over yeah, thirty one. Because you have to look at it this way too. 
a film like 31 probably doesn't come cheap and you know you there's no guarantee right i mean like, no, like we don't really guarantee. know what lords even did you know i assume that it sold well but i have no freaking idea if it actually did uh you know it, it yeah. i didn't see anything come out like lords breaks records you know or anything like that so i mean i'm sure it did well but who knows how much they actually then, paid yeah, we don't for see numbers we don't see numbers on anything though. That's the thing about this, this weird kind of media industry and things like how many times have we talked about, like, I would love to see what screen factory is actually selling. I want to see what arrow is selling. I want to see what synapse is selling like for unit wise, you know, it'd be really interesting to compare these companies and see what they're actually selling. Yeah, Even well, code red. I want to see, I want to see what the fuck bills actually selling like an actual real list. You know, I don't know like maybe that. like a thousand copies over a month period. You know, it, it's I weird because I just that much, honestly. I, I mean, like who's screen, fa- who's screen factory? No, bit code red. Oh, I don't fucking think he's selling that much. Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, I probably not because look at the Tenebre uh, release; it's still not sold. Like, look at those demons still books; like, they still never sold out. Because so, people are not paying fifty fucking. Well, in my case, it's eighty dollars. <laughs> okay, but let's say let's say let's just do this for an example. Let's say that there much. was six th- that they pressed up six thousand copies and they sold them at regular price. Maybe yeah. they probably still might not have sold the six thousand. I think honestly, because mm-hmm. we're all fans and all we see is people picking up stuff. We're such a small group of people. Like I really don't think that these companies sell as much copies as some people like to believe. Uh, and mm-hmm. we really won't know until we actually see some kind of numbers, but you know, just today, for example, I seen somebody ask scream factory if they would release like scanner cop or something since they released scanners, uh, two and three. And they said, unfortunately scanners two and three sold extremely poorly. So probably not, which, you know, in movies, Oh, I can't imagine why I can't because those <laughs> movies are awesome. Those movies are fucking terrible. Yeah. That's literally like, oh my god! Every time I look at that, dude, that they're release fucking X Men. If you watch it, like, oh, this is an X Men movie. This is like, yeah, they're, they're so awesome. Boring. <laughs> they're so <laughs> boring. Um, they're so boring. But anyway, beside that's beside the point. I, I I know what you mean with the sales and stuff. I honestly have no freaking idea. Uh, yeah, I know. How it's, stuff it, works. It, it, I think about it actually probably more than I should. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, I wonder what these companies are actually doing. Because, you know, I mean, with Screen Factory, I mean, you really have to sell, you know, probably a decent amount of things to keep putting out what they're doing. Like, their their output of films is beyond ridiculous. I mean, if you looked at their their Summer of Fear lineup, you know, for, the next, for like May, June, and July or whatever, you know, I think in June they have like eight, eight, or, yeah. eight or nine or, that are coming out. So in the three months, there's one kind of slower month, but it does make up for in the next month and the next month after that. Like there's like 15 or, or you know, 18 movies that are coming out. I'm like, holy fuck. Like you look at some of these other companies, like, I mean, Arrow does put out stuff quite frequently too, but I think they're, I think they might be doing really well. But you look at other companies like Synapse and, you know, just whatever. No one's putting out that many films at one time. So I'm thinking Screen Factory. I mean, I guess they have their. I mean, it's Shout Factory, right? Mm-hmm. So as one company, but man, their output is insane. Well, look, look at this for some reason. Like, like Cult Epics, really, right? Yeah. They released that Necromantic that was limited. Uh, that special cover, or whatever, was limited to what a thousand, something like that. Was yeah, a thousand. To which one? Necromantic. The I think it was. I th- oh, wasn't it five thousand? Okay, was it five thousand? I think it was. Yeah, it, it was something, and then they bumped it up. 
okay, 10,000 copies. Those still are not sold. Mm -hmm. I've not seen Mm -hmm. one person not get the special edition. So they have not sold 10,000 copies in a year. I mean, just put it this way, though, man. Like, I mean, the company that's got to be leading in sales right now has to be Arrow. I mean, these editions of this. I think Scream think- Factory leads for sure because Scream Factories are in Walmart. Well, they all, but you know, it's, I mean, in the amount that they're actually putting out may be. But I'm, I'm just saying that if you look at Arrow's releases, like, you let know, me tell you something, dude. Recently I don't know deeper, a single okay, person different. in life who owns an Arrow in real life. Not a single person. Well, okay, just just let me say this. Okay, Deep Red um, among you know, look at the uh, the Necromantic one and two, like all those limited edition uh, deals, like you know, society and things. Those are all gone. They're all out of print. Every one of them. Those are limited yeah, to like three thousand. Yeah, but there was only like th- two, two, three thousand of those. Well, mo- pretty much all those were three thousand, right? But I'm just saying, all of those are gone. How many what? were there though? Like five. There's, they have tons of limited stuff, like, like, um, like Hellgate that was limited to a few thousand, that limited to like three thousand or whatever. That was gone. They have lots of releases that are limited to three thousand, five thousand copies or whatever that are gone. Mm-hmm. Like it's crazy. It's actually crazy. But if you start adding that up, they are selling quite a bit. Yeah. It's fucking insane. It really is insane. I mean. I mean, you know, the there's there's a few things that are limited from more. I, but more I just think but that if I think they're selling well, I don't. Th- I think they're selling well, but honestly, I don't think. I think if Arrow was really selling really good, they would um, be able to sell at a lower price. Um, I really do. I think that they they would be able to sell it at twenty dollars a pop because they eventually all drop down to that anyway. But they always start at like thirty thirty five. Yeah, I mean and that's I don't know. I, I would I would honestly think North that America, Scream Factory seriously probably sells more than than maybe Arrow is a close competition, but I I don't know. I I just I feel like just judging by the amount of uh, like feedback I see on their posts and their likes and stuff like that, it just seems like like Scream Factory and they're they're like the freaking mainstream one, right? They're they're more mainstream than than any of the other releasing companies like they they're in fucking walmart which is well yeah yeah and also screen factory is also a north american company i mean arrow does have a uh, you know a north american deal now but for the most part i mean they're most of the releases are region two so of course screen factory is probably gonna outdo them for the american releases i mean the, the arrow hasn't released oh, you know what i was actually that only many releases thinking of uh arrow U- us when we were talking about this for some reason yeah I didn't like I'm thinking like Arrow UK man. So yeah, maybe if you combine with UK, then yeah. Well, it's it is it's the same company. It's just their their American branch, right? But I'm just saying like overall, like Arrow is really really selling a lot. I mean, I mean, look at all these limited things, man. If you're not jumping on right right, right away, they're gone. I mean, fucking yeah. But is is two thousand units a lot? Is three thousand units a lot? Like that's the problem is we don't know. What if Scream Factory is selling fifteen thousand units of anything they release on the low end and like twenty five on average? You know what I mean? But do you think? But do you think they sold like you know three four thousand copies of like Hellions? I do. Probably not. I think they sold probably about fifteen thousand copies of Hellions because it's in Walmart. Yeah, it's in Walmart, but I mean, I dude, I, listen, I just, listen. I, I my just Walmart don't know. alone, right? There's when they stack the 
the Hellions on the rack, right? There's are the IFC titles? titles are the IFC titles like because my WalMarts don't they don't get Screen Factories, but uh, uh, every are, IFC title are, is in Walmart. Are, that how in, how cheap are they? Uh, about fifteen bucks, I think. For the Blu-rays, that's not no, bad. There's not; they don't have Blu-rays ever. It's only the DVDs. Oh, so they only they only pack the DVDs in there. Yeah, okay. But but so. here's an example. I, I go to Walmart every day, twice a day. When I go to work, I go in the morning, grab a monster, and poke around, and then I go after work and get like whatever we need for the house. Uh, I and then see another the monster rack go down. Yeah, and another <laughs> monster. I see the rack deplete and restock all the time, and I pay attention to the ones that I care about. Uh, huh. For example, Night Gallery, they had it for $15 season one. It was gone in the week, and they still haven't replaced them, and I was pissed. Uh, So a title like Hellions, I see every day, oh, two more is gone, two more is gone. And usually, you know, between 50 It does make sense. The price is right, though. The price is right. What what do you think about the other Screen Factory titles? Like, what do you figure, like, Disturbing Behavior sold? Well, you know, considering it's not in Walmart, it's not an IFC title. If I honestly had to take a guess of like what a title like Disturbing Behavior would sell like week one of release, um, I would have to like, am I factoring in like each store that stocks them? Like it is like all the online stores, like how many they stock of that? Uh, I don't know. Who actually stocks Screen Factory like in physical stores? Oh, uh, like FYEs and so not many like Barnes and Nobles, FYEs, like they all stock Scream Factories. The only place I know they get that can get them where I can buy a physical copy like, is uh, is HMV. But I mean, the prices are so ridiculous. They're so ridiculous. I mean, regular, you know, collector's editions are like 30 bucks and or 25, you know, kind of thing, 26 bucks and stuff. And nothing's under 20. Expensive. Yeah. Yeah, well, so. I, I mean, Scream Sa- Factory is a subsidiary of Shout Factory as well, and I know Shout Factory is a giant in the, the, the they're probably number one in home video. Oh God, yeah, man, some of the stuff that Shout Factory's released, man, like over the years, like I was look, I was actually just looking at a lot of like their catalog. Man, they've released a lot of stuff I didn't even realize that they had released, like you know, for TV series and like really cool stuff. I mean, everything even from the Beetlejuice box set, like they've released some really cool shit. Yeah, all that '90s Nickelodeon stuff. But yeah, like, anyway, major cool stuff. Yeah. But my major point here is, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I don't think we can really know until we see even an example of a number. If Scream Factory or Arrow would come out and say like, or Synapse and say like, here. Here's three titles that we released in the last two years. Here's how much they sold. And if, you know, they give us an example. One, let's say Pumpkinhead from Scream Factory. If they're like Pumpkinhead sold 15,000 units, that would give us an idea right away and Mm -hmm. we'd be able to map stuff. Like, well, if Pumpkinhead only sold 15,000, I bet you that something like Disturbing Behavior would probably sell about seven or 8,000. Uh, <laughs> Jesus yeah. Christ! Yeah, it's, that's fucked up. I, I don't know if that's even close to the numbers. Maybe it's a hundred thousand for Pumpkinhead, and maybe you know you don't know until you actually just get an example of what what they're selling. And it mm-hmm. frustrates mm-hmm. me because these companies obviously keep that information private for good reason sometimes, and for sometimes I don't know why. But I I I see I know one thing for sure, and I try to explain this to people all the time. Companies do what sells. So if Scream Factory is putting out stuff like Hellions and all these IFCs. It's because they're selling in Walmart. And if they're putting out stuff like um, Army of Darkness, 
which by the way i i last time i read was one of the number one sellers for scream factory last year uh which you know fuck i already own army of darkness and i didn't even get excited for that release at all uh you know but it sells so yeah that was literally about like the eighth or ninth copy i have i swear <laughs> to god i wait i don't even fucking get it <laughs> so <laughs> the thing so. is if you have those films and as long as those films justify them doing a double feature of yeah, yeah. uh you know what witch house and and witchery or, or ghost house and witchery or whatever yeah yeah then fuck it let let them do it i you know i'm not mm-hmm. going to like it I'm not going to be happy happy about another army of darkness but you know maybe i'll check out and find something new i like in the special features because i do buy all that gay shit um <laughs> anyway back to the freaking news right oh is that what we're doing yeah <laughs> oh fuck man I, I totally i thought we were in like knowledge or something like that i didn't even know what segment we were doing <laughs> yeah, we do that uh, Just fucked around. Shane Black, who is directing the new Predator film, uh, got to talking to Bloody Disgusting. And um, actually, I don't think the interview originally came from Bloody Disgusting, so scratch that. Um, but apparently, the idea, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the idea is that this is going to be actually a big budget Predator film. It's, you know, a lot of these studios now are looking at stuff that uh, Marvel has done with their universe including horror films and i think that the you know the people who are making horror films are now like we need to create these universes we've seen it with universal how what they want to do with their uh upcoming monsters universal monster films they want to you know create a giant universe you know we've seen we've seen it with the stuff like the avengers and then we've seen it with like batman and superman and now it seems like it's sort of going into the horror world a little bit uh, so they want to put a little bit of money into this Predators, actually. Uh, and one thing that I hate is that it's called, the title, as of right now, is The Predator. <laughs> Jesus, man. Well, it could be word. It could be Predator Origins. Or I the curse. That bad, or the curse, of, <laughs> the curse of the Predator. Uh, but So this one actually is being uh, written by Fred Decker, of course, the writer of the Monster Squad. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that that was pretty cool that you know he's going to be doing hmm. that. Uh, so that's going to have a March 2nd, 2018 release date, so uh, two years from now. Um, so we'll see another Predator film. Uh, after that, Jeepers Creepers uh, 3 is supposed to begin filming in Vancouver uh, next month. Baby, baby. And uh, we believe that Gina Phillip... What? Wait a minute. How the... What? How the fuck did Canada let fucking Victor Salva into the country? (laughs) Jesus Christ. That's fucked up. Okay, it takes nine weeks for me to get a fucking arrow package because then Customs has to rip apart every single (laughs) package. But they're just letting Victor Salva walk into our country? Here you go. And let me, <laughs> Jesus, what the fuck is going on here? Okay, oh, wow. continue. Okay, so Gina Phillips, who was of course in the original one, uh, is supposed to be reprising her role as Trish, which I think is cool. Continuity is always a good thing. Uh, and also, the creeper van is supposed to have a big part in this one, uh, which is good to me because I thought that was pretty creepy. As well as uh, Jonathan Breck is coming back to play the creeper. And uh, Brandon Smith is going to return as Sergeant Davis Tubbs. 
so that's that's cool, man. I mean, it's supposed to be set on the 23rd day, of course, which is the last day of the Creepers feeding frenzy, and uh, yeah. all the crazy shit's supposed to happen. I'm excited, man. I'm excited. I know we've had these discussions about Victor Salva and whether it's right or wrong for him to be able to direct films and if we should disassociate the director b- between the actual work and all that. I mean, it's a conversation I've had before, and it's a conversation that honestly could deserve its own podcast. Uh, but yeah. you know, I'm excited for Jeepers Creepers 3 because I love the first two. I know, Moods, you're not super crazy about the second one, but I love the second one as well. I don't mind the second one, man. You know, it, it's it, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world, but uh, I really do like the first one, man. It's great. Yeah. It's great Another stuff, thing man. that I know you love is uh, Annabelle. Turns out there's a sequel coming out May 19th, 2017. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I fucking love that movie, man. It's great. Yeah, so oh. Annabelle is coming out uh, in 2017, May 19th, courtesy of New Line Cinema, which also this year, The Conjuring 2 is supposed to hit June 10th, which I'm actually pretty looking forward to since I'm, I've am i like reinvented myself as a theater goer uh, as of late. Yeah, I noticed. <laughs> yeah, all those movies you've been going to in the theater. Man. It's crazy. Um, so New Line, listen to this bullshit, right? 2013, The Conjuring uh, made over 300 million worldwide, and then the very next year, I believe, the Annabelle, which was a spinoff, drew nearly 250 million in box office revenue. How crazy wow. is that? Wow! And sold and sold 14 copies of Blu-rays. Really <laughs> fucking weird. <laughs> um. So after that. We have something here that this happened a few day, a few weeks ago, but I, I did want to um, cover it because it's kind of related to today's news. So, Hellraiser. Uh, this is a franchise that started off with a bang with uh, Clive Barker's original Hellraiser based on the Hellbound Heart, which I've actually just listened to first part of the audiobook the other day. So that's pretty cool. Uh, th- th- this nice. this film went on to create a sequel, which Clive Barker wrote. And then he kind of was there for part three as a producer and it turned into more of a slasher. Uh, The rights then shifted to Dimension and they came out with part four, which from what I understand was a complete and utter mess while it was filming. And Mm -hmm. supposedly there's a drastically different work print cut out there, similar to like that of Halloween six shocking also Dimension produced. Uh, And then they decided to, after the bombing of Hellraiser 4, they decided, well, let's not really try to do these theatrical anymore. Let's make it a video series. And they're like, well, shit, we got to make another Hellraiser uh, movie. And they decide to uh, buy a hot script in in town and pepper in some pinhead. And there you have Hellraiser 5, 6, 7, uh, and 8, I believe. Flash forward to about 2010, 2011, I think it was. Uh, Dimension decided to relaunch their Dimension Extreme label with two new films, one being Hellraiser Revelations and the other being Children of the Corn Genesis. And those two films were, uh, I believe, just uh, $50,000 to $100,000 budget filmed in like six days, I believe. Wow. That was uh, six days? <laughs> yeah. And they were uh, fastly pumped out because – there's a little clause in the old uh, contract that Dimension yeah. has for both Hellraiser and Children of the Corn, which they picked yeah. up, I believe, from the same company back in the day, 
where they have to produce a sequel every, I, I guess it would probably be about five years, huh? When did uh, Revelations come out? 2011? Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember because I actually remember reading and talking about that too. Yeah, so about, 2011. I have to make a move. Yeah, 2011 Hellraiser Revelations so makes sense. came out. Came out. So yeah, so probably every five years we we should expect to see a new Hellraiser. And what happened was Dimension, uh, back in 2009-ish, was planning a Hellraiser remake. It never came to fruition, so uh, they ran out of time, and they had to pump out Hellraiser Revelations to retain the rights. And that happened again, guys, because we got announced Hellraiser Judgment, which. Uh, is I believe has already wrapped filming and it's uh, based in you know they can't even lie this time because before you know you could say that well like even though everybody assumes that those scripts for Hellraiser five six seven and eight were uh, you know other scripts turned into Hellraiser films I don't know if there is ever concrete proof of that I don't know if anybody ever said it or if there's you know anything happened to where there's proof of it but. Um, this one, Hellraiser Judgment, uh, is actually, I believe, coming from a project that had a Kickstarter a few years ago called Judgment. It was a film that was being made called Judgment, and the Kickstarter failed. So I believe what happened is this turned into a Hellraiser film. This Judgment film is now Hellraiser <laughs> Judgment. And yes. Yeah, uh, but it is um, – it's, it's weird, man. I don't know. I, I'm – I'm kind of intrigued just based on the pinhead uh, photo that came out because Doug Bradley wanted to re- – Doug Bradley came out the other day and said that he wanted to see the script uh, before he said if he would take the role or not. And they, of course, wouldn't allow him to see the script, which is um, – you know, <clears throat> that, that that is – Fucking I mean, ignorant, but it's not really. I mean, it's it's a thing. That's a thing in it's Doug Bradley. Come on, you gotta show Doug uh, Bradley. Who yeah, doesn't? Well, like, they, don't you want him for for you know Pinhead? I mean, I'd be like, okay, want man, I'll sign on before they showed him the script. Well, of course, because it probably sucks. But yeah. I understand that. But uh, yeah, I mean, make an exception. It's it's fucking Doug Bradley. He's Pinhead. People associate Hellraiser with his character, with him. Um, I'd be like, okay, man, here you go. Here's an email. <laughs> you know, but yeah. I, I would. Why wouldn't you, though, man? It's fucking, it's Pinhead. The Pinhead. Um, so, basically, I am one of the rare people who don't think that Hellraiser Revelations is the worst in the series. I would say Hellworld is. Uh, because at least Revelations was a Hellraiser movie. Uh, it had mm-hmm. an awful pinhead that looked ridiculous and silly, but it it actually was more of a Hellraiser movie than any of the previous sequels because it actually like was about the stuff that happened in the first Hellraiser and the second one, like very similar, like people coming back from hell and not having skin and shit. Uh, hopefully that this one won't be. I mean, we're all expecting it to be awful. But let's just hope that it's like <laughs> average at best, right? I mean, even if if it's average modes, if if Hellraiser Judgment comes out and it's average, do you consider that a success? Fuck yeah, <laughs> I really do, man. <laughs> yeah, you know it's it's funny because you know when we were doing the 2002 show, um, well, I think most of us watched uh, was it Hellseeker? 
Yeah. Is that the one that we watched? Yeah, Hellseeker again. And, you know, of course, I hadn't seen it in years. And, you know, I just always kind of... I, I, I really do write off, like, all the later sequels in the Hellraiser series in my mind. You know, I'm just like, oh, they're terrible, blah, blah, blah. And then upon rewatching the film, I'm like, you know, as a movie... It's not that bad. Yeah, <laughs> and they're kind of bad. all like that, honestly. So when we eventually do our Hellraiser show, but hell, now we're probably going to have to wait for Hellraiser 10 uh, yeah, exactly. to really do it, um, which shame on us for not doing it sooner. It just makes more work for us. But uh, anyway, you know, you'll find out that some of them are actually kind of watchable as standalone films. Uh, anyway, Hellraiser X or Hellraiser 10 Judgment or Hellraiser Judgment uh, one of the interesting things is how this came about was Heather Langenkamp actually broke the news on this film when she she said that she was involved in an upcoming Hellraiser film. So Heather Langenkamp, Nancy herself, coming into the Hellraiser world. Uh, interesting. Uh, but going on... Yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting too, actually. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, it's... I mean, I mean it's, a, it's a good Heather. way of selling the film. I mean, yeah. soon as I mean, honestly, I was like, okay, I was expected that there was going to be another Hellraiser film because of you know the whole rights thing and stuff. And they announced it. I'm like, yep. And then I was like, Heather Langenkamp, really? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I know a lot of people were kind of joking about. They're like, fucking cares what Heather Langenkamp? She's only known for doing you know Nightmare on Elm Street, blah blah blah. Which is a sh- damn shame because I've always thought that she was really good. Yeah, I know, and she's a really nice person too. Like, yeah. I think that she, you know she could have probably done a lot more, but yeah, it just kind of shocked me, and I was like really associated with the Hellraiser series. I'm like, that's it's cool, man. It's a good selling point. It's a yeah. good selling point. I think it got a lot of people's attention, so that's cool. And piggybacking off of that, Moods, we have Children of the Corn, The Runaway, which apparently Fuck, is also in production in, uh, I forget where it's filming at, but something interesting about this one is apparently it's supposed to be a sequel to the uh remake the 2009 remake because if you remember when we did our children of the corn show oh, is which is now mean? outdated by the way <laughs> I, I did write that i totally posted that i said holy shit our fucking our franchise shows already outdated <laughs> it's obsolete man so this is supposed to be a sequel to the to the remake well the only reason that i get that is apparently that somewhere in the press release it mentioned um Uh, Well, here's the synopsis. Runaway tells the story of a young woman named Ruth who finds herself pregnant after escaping a murderous child call in a small Midwestern town. Ruth struggles to spare her son the horrors of her childhood while trying to outrun the past, which one of the things that I think that I was reading uh, fans say online is that Ruth was the character of that had the baby with Malachi in the remake. So that maybe she's like has her son now and she's like trying to get away from it or something. So maybe that's what it like. That's a connection. Other than that, it'll probably be uh, (laughs) it'll probably be uh, similar to a non children of the corn film, meaning like uh, revelations or like Genesis where like there's very little to do with children of the corn at all. There's like barely any corn even. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Like I said, like Revelations, man, like as a standalone film, you take out the children on the corner and it's called it Revelations. It's not bad. It's okay. Yeah. It's got yeah, good yeah. atmosphere. <laughs> and I know that. I know. Everyone seems to shit on that film. They're like, that movie fucking sucks. I'm like, yeah, as a children on the corner sequel is fucking terrible. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't, it, it really, it doesn't have any elements of children on the corner, really. Uh, I think there is a couple scenes with, with creepy kids and maybe like a corn on the cob or something like that. But, <laughs> you know, but yeah, I can see where this is going. So. 
Yeah, and yeah. you know, um, John Goliger is directing, who uh, directed uh, Feast, Feast Two, Feast Three, Piranha Three Double D, and Zombie Night. That's right. That's right. I know people are tripping balls. They're like, "That's the fucking guy that butchered the sequel to Piranha." I was like, "The fuck you mean, man? He had David Hasselhoff in there. That shit was funny as hell." <laughs> I thought it was fun as hell, man. I don't fuck. I don't even own that movie. Yeah, it's so I weird. Care. I actually don't have it in my collection. It's so strange, but uh, I thought it was actually kind of fun, kind of fun. But yeah, it's kind of an interesting director. I mean, you know, all his films are. Well, he's a, he's a Weinstein boy. All those exactly. All those films well, are that's Weinsteins. the thing. He he's an well, he's an in-house director. You yeah. know, they have this court, they have this company, they have their boy that sits around. And, well, here's a script. Kate, go direct it. You know, he's just their he's their boy toy. So yeah, it's uh, filming in Oklahoma, I believe, as we speak. Uh, you know, it's it's very weird that this is going to be. Uh, Sort of, uh, a, I wonder if that do you think that they'll re- resurrect their Dimension Extreme label again? I don't know. They should, I, they should, they, they, they might, they might. I honestly, as much, there's some bad movies in there, but there are some hella good movies in that Dimension Extreme label. Fucking rights, there is, man. I mean, the original Feast movie is fun as hell, but I mean, you got Inside, and I don't Teeth. know, there's a bunch. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Teeth was Storm actually Morning. Storm Morning's great, man. That's a great. Yeah, there's a bunch of good ones. Black Sheep. Black Sheep. Yeah, fuck yeah, man. There was Mutated some good stuff sheep. in there, man. I mean, there I think some, even yeah. Diary of the Dead was in there. Diary of the Dead was yeah, but then they then of course they got like zombie the diaries, diaries one too. and two. <laughs> fuck, <laughs> those are horrible. But I'm down. Yeah. I'm down. I, let, let, let's bring back the Dimension Extreme label. I think that didn't you really didn't you review that one cannibal film that was released by Dimension Extreme? Uh, welcome to uh, the jungle. Welcome to the jungle. Yeah. yeah, which is also pretty solid. It's not that bad. I mean, there's major problems with like the characters and stuff, but besides that, it's it actually it's has right. a pretty cool vibe. It's uh, kind of a, kind of an interesting label when you really think about it because they're all over the map, you know, with like foreign films and just like yeah. Well, what they were doing was really interesting at the time, is they were picking up foreign films that were kind of the the stuff that you see in festivals now. And kind of giving it a home. They like the big yeah, films yeah. of the year where they were they were kind of doing because this is back when the DVD boom was still you know it was it was kind of phasing out but it was still pretty pretty successful. Yeah. And it's almost like they knew what they were doing though because that's the type of thing that gets my attention. It's like look what they're putting out. That's pretty that's pretty extreme. No, it's a terrible joke. But you know what I'm saying? It's like they're really kind of putting out things that. It, it, there's no rhyme to the reason. It's just they're gathering all this kind of festival things, and that's a good idea. And they're that's putting a really them good... in Walmarts, which that yeah. was one of the big things. Is Dimension Extreme Films were in Walmarts? I would love to see a return to that label. Honestly, I I, I think that we need something like that right now. Uh, but mm-hmm. the final two things here for the news: um, the I guess the producer or the director of the original. Uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space was on the Movie Crypt podcast with Adam Green and Joe Lynch, which I haven't heard this episode yet, but apparently some news is out of it. Out of it. Uh, apparently, the guy said that they're looking to do a potential sequel, and then they were like, well, we don't know if we could do a sequel, or should we remake it? And I guess what they're kind of hoping to do is turn it into a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yes. Are you fucking serious, man? 
just fucking no. Just make a sequel to it, man. Whatever. I'd be happy with the sequel. Don't remake it. Don't do the same thing. Or you don't need to remake the film. But I'd be happy with the sequel either way. Yeah. But a TV show, really? Like I, I just don't see how it translates. Yeah, honestly, man, it's. I don't know, man. I guess there's a lot of. I just can't see that it would be successful on TV. Yeah, I, I, could you I, see? I just you don't know how you hear people. At I don't work think people and they're would like, get it. Oh, did you catch Walking Dead last night? Could you sit here, walk into work, and imagine hearing like, "Oh, did you see Killer Clowns last night, man?" <laughs> <laughs> that conversation's ridiculous, man. <laughs> I just can't see it happening. Like, cause I'll people, I'll hear people. Yo, like, man, he just totally fucked this guy up with a bag of popcorn, man. <laughs> Shot cotton candy right through his head. Just the other day, <laughs> you just already hear it, man. Just Fuck. yesterday, I was at work and my boss was like, "Oh, poop! I missed Bates last night." And I'm like, <laughs> "You actually said poop? It's a her." And she was like, "Oh, poop! I I missed Bates Motel last night." She calls it Bates. Um, and I was like, <laughs> every. If that was me, I would piss myself every time she said Bates. <laughs> <laughs> well, she does that a lot. She'll be like, this is ridiculous. Like she, she, what? she yeah. She, oh, she's a shortener. She likes, yeah, to short- she likes to shorten her words a lot. It's funny. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, a couple more things here. Uh, Code Red announced a huge bunch of mountain titles over the past, like stuff that I was interested in, but I'm not buying any of it. So I don't even know why I said that. Anyway, Scream Factory announced uh, Talk Bad about Moon. being stuck between a rock and a hard place, right? I'm not buying them. Anyway, God, I will never really buy them. Fuck it. Dude, I don't care. Minutes. They'll lose the rights eventually. Just like the people that had them before, Shriek Show. Uh, when you look at stuff like House on the Edge of the Park, they lost the rights eventually. This guy well, will Well, Shriek Show obviously – or Media Blasters is no more. <laughs> the whole company folded. <laughs> yeah. well, let's hope that happens to Bill. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that. So uh, after that, uh, Scream Factory announced Bad Moon. Um, they announced a bunch of other stuff over the past weeks, but I'm not going to go into it. Bad Moon's a cool title to pick up. Um, I like that film a lot. Actually, it's in our 96. It's going to be uh, one that we have to watch for 96. Yeah, I was stoked about. It. I was actually happy for once. I was like, "Wow, it's a film that I want to upgrade." Yeah, because I only have, I only have that film in a four pack. Yeah, me too. And I was like, "Yeah, I just, I don't know." So that's cool. I like the film though. Um, I really did. A little bonus news here that I just seen. Um, the girl in the photographs is going to be released April first. Has a really cool. Uh, poster actually and it is uh the tagline here from fangoria is brutal thriller that would make west craven proud of course west craven uh produced this film and it was directed by his protege so this is sort of west craven's last uh hand in filmmaking here uh yeah he a producer but that's pretty cool so I'm, I'm looking forward to that one uh and oh one other thing one last thing here moods uh i think it was last week uh, apparently, Don Coscarelli said that his goal is to have all five Phantasm films on Blu-ray in two thousand by the end of two thousand sixteen. That is fucking awesome. Yeah, all five. Phantasm and like, and, and when you, and when he like, you know, when he says all five, I'm thinking like box set, box set, like, and I want, oh yeah, it's so awesome. It would be a complete. I, I don't know how much money I would pay for that, but I bet it would be a lot. Yeah, which scares me because 
that means that they might if if I'm willing to pay a lot for it, then that means that they might sell it for a lot. If it's like the sphere and they're like 150 bucks, like I'm gonna die. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna cry probably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if they're like sphere, limited to three thousand copies, hundred and fifty bucks a pop, like I might actually have to take out a loan <laughs> because like <laughs> I would want it so bad. <laughs> Like, how do you explain that to the banks that you go in there like, so you need this loan for what? <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. Like, a f- sphere full of movies? What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, it's just things we got to do, man, as collectors. You're like, I need this right it, now. I, I, I need wouldn't this do it life. for other things, but a phantasm sphere, man. <sighs> yeah, I know. I know. So that wraps up the news, boys. Alrighty, so getting into mood swings in the DVD and Blu-ray releases for March 29th of 2016. And uh, yeah, I know we've been away for you know the last few weeks, but man, there's been a lot of good stuff that's come out in the last few weeks. I uh, don't really want to mention it all, but you know, so much good stuff has been coming out. It's crazy. Uh, bucket list stuff, you know, <laughs> oh, that fucking term. There was a post today on Facebook about bucket lists and it just, it really cracked me up. Um, but anyways, uh, first up here for the DVD and Blu-ray releases is, uh, a release from, of course, you know, our friend scream factory is releasing cherry falls, uh, on Blu-ray. Um, yeah, apparently this is going to be the same version that came out before. It's not going to be like an uncut version because from what I've heard, and I think we did discuss on the podcast before, I believe the footage no longer is, exists anymore. I think that's right, JP, If correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe yeah. that the footage is not around anymore. So if you are thinking that you're getting this fully uncut version and stuff, no, you're getting the version that you've probably seen before if you have seen Cherry Falls. Uh, if you've never seen Cherry Falls, definitely pick it up. It's it's a great film. It's kind of an underrated slasher film, um, in my opinion. It, it's one of those ones that people really don't mention a whole lot. I think it's probably due to the time it came out, you know, early to mid-2000s, I believe, is when it came out. Um, yeah, and as we know when we did our 2002 show that, like, a lot of those films, a lot of people commented and said that, wow, I kind of didn't realize, like, how many good films came out around that time so yeah Mm. it's definitely possible that people kind of overlook that little era you know i'd never seen cherry falls when it first came out i saw it years later actually i didn't even know about it so it 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 bypassed me you know um i'm not saying i know about every single film that ever comes out but it was one that i never seen when it first came out i saw it a few years later and uh but yeah of course starring Brittany murphy rest in peace to her but yeah it's a cool film it's a cool film check it out uh, looking forward to the the transfer on it as usual, Screen Factory. So, uh, next up here is one that uh, I know has been selling like hotcakes, and a lot of my homies and you know friends, however you want to call them, have already received theirs in the mail. I'll probably get mine in June because you know it shipped a week ago. But that is the Death Walks twice box set from Arrow Films. Uh, the films by Luciano Ercoli. Uh, we got Death Walks on High Heels and Death Walks at Midnight. Man, when they first announced this one, I I just like literally fell off my chair. I was like, fuck, this is so awesome. This is exactly what I'm looking for. Two Italian films I've never seen before in a great box set. And, you know, Arrow's box sets, the actual, you know, the cardboard. You can beat people to death with those fucking things. They're always like so good quality and stuff. (laughs) Yeah. 
So I'm really looking forward to this box set, man. It, it's just awesome. So definitely check that one out right there. Um, this is one I actually didn't even know that was getting a Blu-ray release, being released by VCI, and it is uh, City of the Dead, um, also known as uh, Hospital Horror, I believe is the alternate title, or Horror Hospital, I think it's Horror Hospital, or Hospital Horror. Shit, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, I never even have heard of that one. What before. the hell is it's either hospital or uh, something like that. But anyways, City of the Dead. Um, yeah, it's actually a cool film. Got, uh, of course, Christopher Lee in it. But VCI putting it out. I mean, they have done some pretty good transfers. I mean, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow they put out, and that was a fantastic transfer on that one. But, yeah, City of the Dead. Next up here from Screen Factory, we've got a double feature, which is one that I've been stoked for. Ever since they announced this, this is one that I was just like, yes, what a great double feature. we got R- Murders in the Rue Morgue and the Dunwich Horror yeah, that is so good, man, because I don't own either one of these films, and I'm just really excited, but yeah, awesome. awesome yeah, that's a cool feature. double feature. I, I, haven't heard, I haven't seen those either. The, uh, the Dunwich Horror is a great film, so going to be cool. Uh, from Vinegar Syndrome, and of course, you know, if you know Vinegar Syndrome, you know, most people seem to associate Vinegar Syndrome with their porno <laughs> that they put yeah. out. It's kind of funny. I talk to people, and they're like, man, they're the company that put out the porno, right? I'm yep. That's right. But, of course, they do. They focus on exploitation, of course, horror films, too. But they've been recently putting on a lot of um, old trauma films. And they're releasing Pigs on Blu-ray. And now this is... I'm so excited because Vinegar Syndrome, if you're not familiar with them, they do really, really amazing restoration work. Like, I don't even understand how they do it to make the films look the way they do. It's just incredible. Yeah, they actually share a lot of that information on their Facebook page, too, over over the years. I've kind of seen them. Yeah, and that that's cool. I should probably look into that. But they it's just amazing what they do. Like, you know, I've seen some of these trauma. Obviously, I have the DVDs, these full screen, muddy prints, VHS trans, blah, blah, blah. And then I check out the Blu-ray and I'm like, holy shit, that's crazy. Totally worth the upgrade if you have pigs. Um, I'm assuming, you know, but I love the cover. But anyways, pigs, very, very weird film. You know, it was I believe it was on the section three list of the video nasties, actually. So, yeah. Uh, but the thing about Vinegar Syndrome is they really seem to focus on uh, preserving film. Like that's kind of like one of the things that they focus on is is making sure that this stuff lasts and that you know they have some of their more popular titles, but they also have like tons of stuff that like nobody's ever heard of, including their porn. You know, like they they're kind of uh, really you know they, it almost seems like they have the attitude where like everything matters you know yeah. everything in history of film matters even if it's crap uh so I, I like that about vinegar syndrome one thing i don't like about vinegar syndrome is their pr guy is like so difficult i've been trying to get on their list forever and um i can't he just won't let me on so i know it's kind of bullshit man like i have a pretty decent sized vinegar syndrome collection i'm like I wish I could just show him like, hey, man, I buy your shit, man. You know, just send me over some stuff to review. <laughs> you know, it'd be so awesome because Vinegar Syndrome stuff is is pretty expensive where I am. Yeah. Right. It's it's not as cheap as it down, is down there. So, but yeah, I've, you know, own a few of their titles as well. And I, I, I've really been happy with everything I've picked up from them. So, yeah, their transfers are just something else. Speaking of Vinegar Syndrome, we got another one here. Uh, this movie's already been released on their website previously. This is kind of like the wide release. Now it's on Amazon and, and things like that. But uh, Frightmere, the Blu-ray, um, yeah, another trauma title. 
and I do own this. It, the fucking transfer is like amazing on this. It looks really, really good. Uh, featuring an early performance by Jeffrey Combs is actually in that one. So, so if you didn't order from the website when it was available just on there, now it's available widely. Um, next up from, oh, what company is this? Uh, I think it is the, oh, I can't even remember. Film Detective. Film Detective is putting out a film called The Red House. Now, if you're not familiar with the Film Detective, they are a company that specializes. In, I think they release a lot of like um, kind of public domain films, but they're, rest, they, they, they're restoring those type of films and things like that. Uh, not just public domain. They, they've done some that aren't and things like that. Uh, I've recently actually reviewed uh, The Bat um, by them. And they did a great job with the transfer on that. Um, which is fantastic. So, but the Red House, I don't really know anything about this one, but you know, check out the website. Yeah. Detective. Their Blu rays are really cheap, actually. Like, I think they're only like $12, $13 for the Blu rays and stuff. So, but yeah. they do focus on films like kind of pre 1970s. So, if you're not into older films, like, you know, black and white and just older films, then it's probably not going to be for you because it is all about retro, retro films. So. Yeah, they focus a lot on public domain and stuff. I actually reached out to them to see if I could get on their press list and, uh, Unfortunately, I believe you're on their press list, right? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, they said that they couldn't really afford to do multiples, and I was cool with that or whatever, but I ended up talking to the chick who uh, handles their PR, and it's pretty interesting. She actually is from my area. Wow. Yeah, which I thought was pretty cool. So there's that little tidbit. Yeah, and actually the other the other Blu-ray that I did was Bucket of Blood um, that I reviewed too, and that was a great transfer also. So, you know, check out those. Definitely uh, definitely very affordable. So, um, yeah, and then we got uh, – this is one that I, I've heard the title a couple times. I, for some reason, I've never seen this one. I believe it's a German film. It's called Le Petit Mort or something. It sounds French to me. Totally sounds French, but I believe it says it's German. Language is in German. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's coming out. And part two of that. And it's being released by uh, what's the name of the company? Widowmaker, I think, or something. I don't even know this company. And mm. you know this company, Widowmaker? No. Nope. So strange, man. It's not very often like I see a release on here. I'm like, I don't know the company. That's crazy. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, a couple foreign films right there and i believe that is it unless you got any more i do not i don't have anything else you know th- it's kind of funny like well, we've been gone uh, the last thing mystery science theater 3000 which isn't really horror but the 35th volume comes out that's right that's right um yeah like the last few weeks there's been a lot of releases but this one was kind of not really one of the slower weeks but you know the beginning of the month was just ridiculous ridiculous um, things have been coming out so frequently that I didn't even realize that I don't know if you noticed or if they even got announced. I don't even know if Charles Band even announces things, but uh, Puppet Master Four and Five came out on Blu-ray. Are you aware of this? I wasn't aware, but he does announce stuff. I just really don't pay attention all that much anymore. Yeah, it's so strange. Like I, I don't know where they came from, but I was on Amazon and on Amazon.ca, of course, and I came across. Puppet Master 4 and 5, and they were already out. And they were $9.99 on .ca for the Blu-rays. And I was like, fuck, I can't pass. I'm like, awesome, because I have the first three. And I was like, well, might as well grab those. So I didn't even know when they came out. Like, it's it just, I felt like, holy shit, am I just, am I losing it or something? <laughs> like, how do I not know about this? But anyways, part 4 and 5. But that is going to do it for the DVD and Blu-ray releases for March 29, 2016. And 
yeah, I guess, I mean, there's, you know, some decent ones in there, I guess. Um, so for my, uh, <sighs> pick of the week, really is, this is pretty much a no brainer, right? What are you thinking here? The death walks twice box set. <laughs> we got we got to go over to the UK, or actually, I think it's American box set. I think there is of this too. Death walks twice box set. Two, you know, pretty obscure Italian films box set. Got to grab that. But there is a lot of good ones here. Like I said, Cherry Falls, you know, Pigs, uh, and the the Screen Factory double feature. You got to grab those. All good. So, but Death walks twice. Got to grab two copies. Don't know why you'd grab two copies, but. <laughs> just makes absolutely no sense um but yeah so that's gonna do it for the dvd and blu-ray releases uh voicemails do we got some voicemails this week yeah let's get into our voicemails one thing that i do want to mention though is uh a while back last time we did voicemails i actually skipped one and then i accidentally deleted it so um it was lewis and he asked us why there is no females ever on the 22 shots we have a bunch of guests all the time but never any females so that, is think a, about that? that is that's a fucking complete lie. We had Jeremy on for what fifty something episodes, sixty episodes or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Forgot no, about fem- that. To, I mean, to be honest, I don't really know a lot of females in this podcasting world, um, or that would even want to be on the show. I don't know. I just, yeah, I just don't I know. know that- to be honest. I it's know just they, a lack of knowing the personnel to bring onto a show. It's not like we're being sexist or whatever here. It's just, it is what it is. It, it just seems like we have a lot more um, male <laughs> fans than we have females. I, I don't know. That would be willing to come on the show. Yeah, that's but. definitely true. I mean, I have heard podcasts with females. I mean, Jamie Jenkins, who does a podcast with Dave, the ABCs of Hidden Horror, uh, as well as the Skeleton Crew. Uh, Land of the Creeps. And, uh-huh. I've, I've heard i've heard i've heard females on there oh i was yeah well jamie i don't think has done land of the creeps but i was actually gonna say that uh greg has a couple of chicks that do land of the creeps with him yeah. uh, every once in a while uh also which i haven't heard i haven't listened to land of the creeps in a long while but you know it's still one of my favorite pot one of the first podcasts i really got into uh, uh terror troop um bloody lizzie uh is on there there's a few other females that show up on land of the, or, uh terror troop every once in a while they're, they're out there but we personally don't know i don't know personally any female podcaster like like personally know them so yeah i mean maybe one day i'm sure we'll eventually run into one so yeah <laughs> so there you go lewis there's your answer I think um, it would be I think it would be kind of cool, man. Oh, it would definitely be cool. It's definitely uh I bet our ratings would go up. <laughs> Did you mention Killer POV? Oh yeah, Killer POV. Yeah, uh Rebecca McKendry. Um Yeah, and Killer Lee- Killer POV. I always talk about Killer POV. That show's awesome. Yeah, That's it's really it's definitely show. one of my favorite podcasts because it's people who are like directly involved in the industry so you get a, a yeah. unique perspective on things. That is true. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, so, they're entertaining too, man. I, I don't know. There's just something about like the, their chemistry too. They just, I don't know, man. It's just one of those shows that just flows so well. And all of a sudden, like, holy shit, that was four hours. Yeah. Damn. 
Yeah, I love that <laughs> so. show. I really do. I, that's one of my favorites to listen to. I usually, I usually will let it go by for like six weeks, and then I'll just binge listen at work for like a week. I did that a couple times too. I was like, you know, a couple weeks went by, or a few weeks went by, and I was like, yeah, I'm check this out. Ten hours later, I'm like, I can't hear anymore. <laughs> yeah, listen I've listened to Netflix. damn near every episode except for maybe like the last four or something because I like to binge watch. But I started when they were on episode like. 15 is when i found them so i've been along for the and i went back and listened to all of the first 15 or whatever i gotta catch i gotta catch up i haven't listened to the oh, last dude couple, I, so. I think that their bet one of their best ever is when they had charles band on um and just because <laughs> well, charles band talked so much and it was so interesting to hear him talk about things and just the pers- like just how he was able to stay successful that's what charles band does he just talks he's yeah. a good talker He's he a great salesman, man. That's what he is. He's a salesman. He's a great talker. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, without further ado, let's get to the actual voicemails. Um, first up, this one's from Jeremy, actually. We ended up not playing. I didn't even hear this one before we did episode 74, so it's a little, like, out of date. But here it is. Everybody, for listening to episode number 74 of the 22 Shots of Moods and Over podcast. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. This isn't the end of the show. Wait, wait. What did I call about again? Oh, wait, wait. It's about that fucking Canadian. Yeah, you stupid Canadian. I didn't forget about you. You know I love you very, very, very much. <laughs> but there is more important things on the table, such as JP being a Mexican fucking asshole. And you know that things that are more important has to be spoken about first. JP's Mexicanness has to be spoken first. <laughs> anyway, I guess I didn't give too much of an update the last time that I called simply because I just wanted to say once again that JP is a Mexican fucking asshole, but I am alive and doing well. I have been extremely busy working at this distribution label, having a really good time, but I've been super busy, haven't been able to watch too many movies, and I missed the show. But I promise you, you fuckers, I will be back. But until then, I will expect Brandon's kosher balls in Moose's mouth. And then you will all know what happens next. All right, everybody. I hope everybody is doing well. And you enjoy episode number 74 of 22 Shots of Moose and Ore Podcast. I shall talk to you guys soon. And until then, see you guys. Mm. So what do you think, uh, Jeremy, using the same joke twice? <laughs> it it just sounds like he was just actually on the show. Yeah, you know, that, that totally makes sense. <laughs> the he, said his, uh, he said his minute and a half of of uh, remarks, and then stayed quiet for the rest of the show, <laughs> just like times. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's awesome that he phoned in though. Yeah, called in whatever the fuck. yeah he would totally bash you about that right now. So probably, uh, um, but. Uh, we know that Jeremy doesn't actually listen to the show, so we can pretty much say anything about him right now. Like, Jeremy, you suck. Yeah. I think it's kind of ironic, though. He, like, he works for this distribution company, and he's he's surrounded by film all day, and he just has no time to watch film at all. <laughs> <laughs> I just I think if I was in that environment, I'd be like, I just force myself, you know, at whatever cost. I don't even give a shit. I'd be like, I'd just find, like, some random janitor's room and be like, yeah, hey, I need to watch this fucking movie, <laughs> you know? Seems like it's got a pretty cool job, actually, so. Yeah. Congratulations uh, on the job, Jeremy. I know you're not listening 
So go fuck yourself. But uh, again, thanks for the voicemail. We appreciate it. And yes, for any, for the people out there that have been asking, are you guys still friends, blah, blah, blah? There you go. We're still friends. He's calling JP a Mexican fucking asshole. Yeah, that's and he's exactly in Canada. Course, sounds like only friends. friends only <laughs> friends do this, right? So, yes. All right. So uh, a while back, we had a voicemail from uh, Dracula himself. Well, we have a little follow up to that. So play that. <laughs> Hello, Cranky Sons of Bolsonaro. This is Igor. You may have heard me on a previous phone call. I thought I should call and ask a question of my own. This one is specifically about sidekicks or side characters in films. I want to know which characters, not main characters, were able to upstage the main characters, like Renfield in Dracula. I know that sometimes he seems they don't, and most of the time they're only supposed to be supporting characters, but some of them stand out as more memorable than the actual main characters. So who, in your opinion, achieves this? I have to get going. So, um, <laughs> awesome voicemail. Uh, I love those. Uh, but characters that outshine these stars. Um, one that comes to mind is uh, Bela Lugosi in Son of Frankenstein, I believe. He plays Igor. Uh, yeah, yeah. I love that character. That's my favorite character probably in all of the films. And the other one that I thought of, which is another one of my favorite characters ever, is Chop Top, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. He's the star of that show. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was I wasn't really thinking like total villains and things like that. I was thinking of like, I mean, it's kind of funny when you think about it. Like in Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, um, you know, Freddy is, you know, he is the he's the actual star star, right? Mm-hmm. But there is main characters. There, there are storylines revolving around these antagonists and things like that um the first thing came to my mind was uh nightmare on elm street part three dream warriors and i was thinking like you know Patricia arquette's character she's like the main character in the film right the whole story is about her Mm -hmm. and uh, i was thinking kincaid totally steals the show in that film though oh yeah yeah you know besides freddie obviously right yeah but like as for like, you know, the well, well Freddie like- himself would be a good example because Freddie started out as just an antagonist and Nancy was the main star. And by the third film, Freddie becomes the main star. Yeah. True so, that. Yeah, but Kincaid definitely sells the show. One of my favorite characters ever. Love. But I mean, like I've said, he's, you know, I mean, when you take when you kind of, you know, just kind of put Freddie off to the side, you know, you got Patricia Arquette's character like she is, like I said, you know the main character in the film and then Kincaid he's kind of a side character um but yeah he's just he's like honestly one of the most memorable characters to me maybe it's because of the film itself but I don't know I I just think he I, he's like one of the most memorable characters like in the whole franchise and mm-hmm. everything and just in general he's just it is what it is so. yeah definitely I think another one if I'm gonna go the protagonist route is 
Dr. Loomis outshining Jamie Lee. Uh, because Jamie Lee's definitely the main character, but I think that exactly. Sam yeah. Loomis definitely outshines her, you know, Donald Pleasance. I don't know why I thought of it as like the protagonist, not the antagonist type thing. It's weird. Uh, I just thought of it as antagonist because he he made it and he was like his example well, I, was he, antagonist. I, I guess, exactly, exactly. It's funny. I didn't even like clue into that. I mean, I did clue into that. I just immediately thought of antagonist. I don't know. It's weird. All right. So weird. Next voicemail, we have one from Lawrence. Hey guys, I had a question for you. This is Lawrence, by the way. Uh, I was just thinking of something, and I'm wondering what your take is on it. We know that there, well, we don't have to go over this again. There are plenty of films out there that follow the formula set forth by whatever other film that came before them. The examples are all over the place, and people are complaining about the lack of originality, but I'm wondering, do you think they're not just playing it safe, but they see this formula that works out, and everyone seems to like it? They keep going to the movies. Even though there's all these generic films out there, they keep going. And I'm wondering if they're doing this because it's just so popular and they don't see any reason to go and do something fairly original or different if it's a chance it's probably not going to pan out when they've got right in front of them this formula that works out time and time again. It's just like a cooking recipe. Why change up the recipe if it's worked for meal after meal after meal and no one complains about it so well i mean we complain about it but (laughs) we don't complain by keeping our money in our pockets we go out and buy the movies or buy the movie tickets so what's your take on it is it really that people are just not that imaginative or that they see that this just works better. Anyway, have a great day, guys. Bye. Okay, so um, I think this is kind of an interesting thing. I, I mean, we talk about it. Well, let me answer it by this. I think that film and, you know, types of film, it, it's cycles. Uh, if you look way back into, like, the golden age of horror, right, the 30s, with uh, all the Universal Monsters films, you know, kind of a callback to our previous question with Igor uh, calling in. Uh, you know, all of those films are very similar, especially when you get into the sequels, right? I mean, you have the, the, the Frankenstein Dracula, pretty unique by themselves. But then you have Son of Frankenstein and Ghost of Frankenstein, and House of Frankenstein. And they're all the same. They're all the same movie, more or less, especially no. The Mummy, which is literally carbon copies of each other. Reused scenes and everything like The Mummy is the same film over and over again. All those sequels. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then you go into the uh, <clears throat> slasher realm, which is the 80s. Uh, late 70s, early 80s, uh, and sequel after sequel after sequel after, you know, uh, let's rip off uh, Halloween and do Friday the 13th and all the other holidays. Happy birthday to me, April Fool's Day, my bloody Valentine. And you have that cycle where it's just the same thing over and over again. And then you flash forward to the uh, early 2000s where you have remake after remake after remake after remake or uh, – 
re- remake of uh, an a- an Asian film or a French film or whatever. Uh, all these remakes yeah, yeah. of foreign films. I think I think that it's been around forever in one form or another. And I think we like something so much just by human design. We want to see it again and again and again and again. And then eventually when we've seen it too much, we'll get tired of it. We'll start complaining about it, but we'll still see it again and again and again and again. And then eventually after that, we get completely sick of it and we don't see it. And then something new comes along and we like that a lot. And then we see it again and again and again and again. And it's, it's just a cycle. A dead, it's just, it's just beating cycle. a dead horse, man. You know, I mean, these studios and things, they're going to, you know, at the end of the day, it's really about the almighty dollar. Yeah. And the and the fact of the matter is, is that these studios, it's probably a combination of both. You know, they they have a formula that works in a certain time period. They're going to beat that horse. To, they, they're just going to fucking, you know, just use it to the death. They're essentially going, they're essentially, <clears throat> all right, you know how uh, Ari Lehman, the original Jason is yeah. like still milking that cow. That's what they're doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, yeah. is it wrong? Not necessarily. I don't, I don't, I don't think so at all. Like, I, I honestly think that, you know, these studios, like I said, it's all about the money. It really is. You know, mm-hmm. and they have something that works. Why not just keep using or keep putting it out there? But I do think there is a combination of, you know, Having this formula that works, at the end of the day, it's about the money. But then again, I do think that there is a lack of originality also. I mean, if you look at some, they do try to branch out and try to do certain things sometimes. And most of the time, it doesn't necessarily work, you know. But these things catch on. We've got, you know, like you said, you you mentioned the Universal, uh, I was going to say the Universal um, Soldier. (laughs) What the (laughs) fuck? Universal Monsters. Uh, like that era, the the formula was that's what it was, you know, into the slasher and then early two thousand. These things they work, right? They are gonna they're gonna fucking roll with this thing, man. Um, you know, found footage films. <laughs> I mean, did they they beat the fucking shit out of the dead horse with that? Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about money. But I'm 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 convinced though it is a lack of originality too though. I think that's what contributes to beating the dead horse. I don't know why I keep using that fucking phrase over and over again, but you know what I'm saying? It is, it's a formula and it's familiar to people and maybe it's a lack of, you know, I don't even know what the, the, what the word is, even branching out and trying something new because at the end of the day, it's about losing money or gaining money. Well, even if you look at the past, you know, 20 years or so, yeah. uh, what happens is somebody does something original on a low scale. Yeah. And then Hollywood takes that film and it becomes a huge mega hit. Blair Witch, Paranormal Activity, stuff like that. Right? And then everybody in Hollywood makes that movie for yep. a long period of time. So yep. the original they don't take the risk. Uh, the the big studios don't really take the risk. They just when somebody else takes the risk on a low scale and it becomes a mega hit, then they just adapt to what that is. That. So they adapt. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a kind word for steal. You know, they take that good idea and just kind of use it and then use it over and over again. But yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense. I mean, if you're trying to make money and not lose it, stick with what works. Like he, he used the metaphor or the, you know, for with recipes, it's yeah. a, it's a good one. Why would the, why the fuck would you change your recipe on your meal if if it works for everybody? Why would you also just change it and like oh and then have 
you know, come out disgusting. That's not going to happen, right? It's just not going to happen. So, I mean, as much as we complain about, oh, man, there's so much lack of originality in, in Hollywood films and in horror films in general and stuff like that, it's not entirely true. There is, there is a lot you know, of there's a there's a really there. a lot of originality on the indie level for sure. Yeah, and and that's and that's where it is. That's where I was leading to is that you kind of have to explore the whole realm of this world of of horror films. You know, you have studio films and stuff. And yeah, I mean, I would definitely stay, you know argue to death that you know the studios they're not willing to take a lot of unnecessary risks. Why not? Why would they? Why would they invest a whole shitload of money into something that they know that's probably not going to work? Or might not work out when they can just stick to a formula and you make their money, right? Mm. Like you said, people are going. They're buying the movies. They're going to the theater. They're going to the cinema. They're doing what they are. And it's familiarity. Like, I mean, honestly, in the early 80s, you think people were like, oh, another slasher film. No. <laughs> no, it, it, it was what it was, man. Well, I think you know? I think they kind of were a little bit. like the, like. Well, I mean, not in 1981, 1980, like those couple years. I mean, fuck, dude, there was literally a slasher film that opened up every single weekend in 1981. It's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. And I mean, it's just like, hey, they're just doing this to death, doing this to death. Yeah, it only lasted a couple of years. By 1984, it was pretty much on the major decline, you know, and, but we've seen that even this decade. But I, with, I feel like I feel like people things. really didn't like those back then. I think they look back on them like nostalgic and we all love them now. But I think when they were coming out, I don't think very many people actually like love them besides like teenagers. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's hard to Cause, say. Like, because I like, hear all the people that like my parents and stuff. They were obviously making money, though. That's the thing, because these guys, these, you know, these companies. Yeah, which stuff, is exactly what's happening now. Companies. They're making yeah. money, but nobody likes them. But yeah. they yeah. make money. It's weird. So are it's, these films that are coming out now. now or in you know when in twenty years will people like them? <laughs> yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, the, these studio guys. I mean, the wise. Do, do do you think they're thinking like that far in the future? They're going no, no. I don't think right that now. matters at all. No, they don't give a shit, man. They're like, hey, fucking ghost films are in right now. We're making fucking ghosts. I'm not. I'm not saying they are, but I'm just using an example. But found footage is in. Let's do it. Let's run with it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the originality is not in the Hollywood films. Yeah, it's it, in it really cinema. never has been though, because so. indie because indie filmmakers can take those gambles. I mean, if you're going to make a film for five or ten thousand dollars, yeah, it's a lot of money to a lot of people. But I mean, in the big scheme of things, it's like, hey, you can still take that chance. That's Who knows? It, it might work and stuff. And that and that's what I'm saying. Like for a studio film, they're not going to invest fucking twenty million in, in some crazy ass film idea. There's no fucking way it's happening, man. So I don't think it's necessarily lack of originality with them. I mean, I'm sure they they probably have some original ideas. They're just they're scared shitless to actually do them. They're waiting for someone else, like you said, on a lower scale to do it and go. Yeah, that fucking worked, man. Let's let's snag that shit up. <laughs> Which is not worth the risk. It's just it isn't. It isn't because, not. like I said, it's all about money. And these guys are not willing to lose anything, especially in today's cutthroat, you know, film industry. Right? Like, I mean, horror films. Let's face it. It's not like how it used to be. Theatrical horror films. How many was last year? How many theatrical horror films was there last year? There was like I think it was an all time record low for actual theatrical horror films there was only there was like under 20 or something like that that made like I'm, I'm talking not like one or two night showings i'm talking like you know semi-wide release horror films a good like, eight maybe yeah there was like fucking nothing last is insane 
So they're not really taking, you know, they're not willing to do anything with that nowadays. So I don't know, man. It's a combination of both. I hope that answered your question. <laughs> I feel like we're just kind of going to went in circles a little bit, but uh, I don't know, man. It, it's something that always kind of intrigues me, but yeah. it doesn't matter what it comes down to. It's all about money. They're not willing to not willing to lose it, man. Rightfully so. I honestly agree with it. I like there's no point just that like they're not art, art it's not about the producers are not artists, right? What what the, they don't what care the, about the movies. They care about if it's going to make money. Yeah. Which so, is that's why they're producers and not directors. <laughs> no, and th- this is why we have 95 paranormal activity movies now. <laughs> you know what I'm fucking saying, man? What is it like? Six one coming out, and I'm just like, oh. But I always jump on the fucking the hate wagon for paranormal. But I can't really. I'm a hypocrite, really, because I've only seen the first one. You yeah. know, I'm just shitting on it because it's found footage, and I don't even. I don't even dislike found footage films. I don't even know where I'm coming from with this. I actually do like found footage films. So, all right, yeah, and uh, discover that. Continuing along here, we got another one from Lawrence. I I think I I honestly think that we're just we're so far beyond going that far back that I don't think we could ever do it. I mean, just to like have a a film where you're just strangling people. I think that, uh, you know, to work in today's day and age, you would have to have the blood and gore. I think if you're just going around strangling people and that was the end of the scene, like it was just no effects or anything. I think it would probably I think it'd be so bland because what we see on a daily basis is just not that, you know, this isn't like the, the 30s or anything. I mean, to be honest, I think that. You know, for a strangler film to work, if you're just going to go, if that's going to be your main kill throughout the every, you know, every scene, you're going to have to have these big, powerful monster hands, and you're going to have to strangle people and pop their heads off. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like you're just like, and it just fucking pops up. But like honestly, if you're just strangling someone, there's no blood, and that's you know that happens eight or nine times in a film, dude. That's like really, really repetitive and. uh, 
not exciting. Well, that's the problem here is those films weren't like that. They're, they're not, they, they, yeah, there were, that was the terminology used the strangler film before it was, you know, often some proto slashers could be considered strangler films. It, but the thing <sighs> with a, a film that's labeled a strangler film, it's not, like they're not slashers in terms there's not high but there's like one or two deaths you know what i mean so it, it's it's more about like a uh narrative of even you know, more usually of a like a chick uh being stalked in her apartment yeah. or something it's yeah, these yeah. films were just slow like vo- almost like a peeping tom style film or something yeah, yeah. where yeah. where it's about the suspense and the tension and they, yeah they don't really work now because everything's so fast paced now um, you could make like an arty one, like something like uh, I could see like somebody who did um, something like a girl walks home alone at at night or whatever it's called, like doing like a slow pace like arty like strangler film. Um, but it, it's more, it was never really about the kills though. They, that's when it became the slasher. So you wouldn't really it you could make a sl- strangler film. It just would be a niche. You couldn't do a whole genre on it. It's just of the time of the '60s. These were the types of films that were coming out because everything was a little bit more tame. And uh, yeah, that's a, that's exactly I, I'm not what I was super too. familiar with those type of films or anything. But I do know that often there might be like one or two deaths. You know what I mean? It wasn't like a big body count and that's why and i actually often can't even was... really think of too many like right off the top of my head like the only the only one i can remember right now is entitled the the strangler <laughs> you know it's from i believe it's from the early 60s um but like yeah <laughs> that's like all like just just strangle i don't know it's weird i there's such a strange they question i've never even really thought of that but oh I, for sure it, for but sure also yeah. like the these films were called strangler films because often there would be a death like that or something, but I'm pretty sure that they weren't exclusively only killed by that as well. The, like only hands, like just like a slasher, you call it a slasher, but how many slasher films do you really know that they only slash people? Very few. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I guess, but I mean, if there was a whole genre, just, you know, kind of like, called the strangler genre <laughs> I, wouldn't you just assume that it was like some dude wrapping his hands around some neck well, I, no not really because like i know i i've i've heard like in documentaries and stuff like people like reference that time and it was always more about it was just like the vo- like voyeur like slow like stalking movie and they were just called it's, they, oh. they were just dubbed strangler films it's kind of the idea of what the what the film is you got this guy kind of stalking around and things and that's just generally what you think the the end result was going to be you know the strangler you know so <laughs> that's funny though uh, all right moving on we have two more voicemails here from rob first one uh i don't know what it's about hey guys rob from georgia thought i'd go light this week and just drop a little story on you real quick you know the halloween show got me to thinking about rob Latine, and uh, that gets me to thinking about the thing which gets me to thinking about one of the biggest regrets I have in my life. We dropped this. When I was 12, I had a buddy, so-called buddy. We had a plan to go see the thing at the movie theater. Now, it was playing side-by-side with Firefox at the time that Clint Eastwood Cold War <laughs> And we conned our parents, told them we were going to go see Firefox when we really had intentions on seeing the thing. Now, this was going to be like the greatest moment of my entire life. So we get there, right? Everything works out perfect. Flawless. I mean, the 
everything is working out in my, uh, you know, for me. And uh, so we get there, get the popcorn, get the soda and everything. And, of course, you know, I'm a big movie poster guy. I got to go look at posters. And uh, so we go over and start looking at the poster for the thing. And, man, right then and there, this kid starts, my buddy starts to get second, you know, starts to, I don't know, starts to have, starts to chicken out, I guess is what it is. <laughs> Sees the poster, starts to get a little freaked out. I'm like, are you kidding me? I said, we got to see this movie. And he's like, eh, I don't know, I don't know. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I've waited, I, I don't know, who knows how long I waited to see that movie. But, but there I was, and my buddy is having second thoughts. And I'm like, you got to be kidding. Finally, he just completely chickens out and says, I, I just can't, I'm too freaked out. I, I'm too scared. I can't go see that. And so we ended up going in to see Firefox right next to the thing. And back then, I mean, those walls were like paper thin. During the low moments of Firefox, you could hear the thing on the other side. I got so freaking pissed off. I was yes. so mad and angry. I don't even know if we were friends after that, but I was 12. <laughs> I can't remember. But anyway, so the movie ends. We watch it. We, well, my mom's picking it up, picking it up. Now, I think she got clued in that maybe, you know, I was kind of selling or something. And uh, and so she's like, so uh, I was Firefox. And, man, I just started dumping the whole movie out to her. And you should have seen the look in her face. She kind of just looks at me. Uh, wow. Okay. So <laughs> there he is. actually I went. I big regret in life. <laughs> Couldn't see John Carpenter's the, the thing when I was like 12 because I had a buddy chicken out on me. Do you guys have any regrets like that? Stuff that you still hold on to that just rubs you the wrong way if somebody brings it up? That's it for this week. I hope you guys have a great week. And uh, JP, I hope you have a better week this week than you had last week. See you guys. Not sure exactly what week was bad because uh, I don't know when that voicemail maybe, came in. But <laughs> maybe, maybe you're having a maybe you're you're having a bad week all the time. Yeah, <laughs> uh, man, that's a great enough, story. I, yeah, that's a great story. Oddly enough, I had the same regret. You know, 1982, I couldn't go to the movie, man, because I was fucking two and I'd shit my diaper. Couldn't go. No. <laughs> no, honestly, well, man, that's, I've that's... seen Free Willy when I was two, and I didn't poop anywhere. So, really, yeah, I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't make it in there, man. You know, I just, I filled my, filled my diaper, and that was it, man. They're just like, they're not. I'm not taking. My parents were like, they're not taking me in, not taking me in, man. Just smell like shit. So, no, that, that's, that's a really, that's like, that's one of those things that's got to be so devastating, like on all levels. Because yeah, you were that, knowing you were that to close the- to seeing it, and like now you, yeah. you can't. It ain't like you can relive that experience ever. No, you know, and, and it's just it turns out that it's like literally one of the best horror films ever made. <laughs> and he was like that close to going in there to seeing that on the big screen in 1982. That is brutal. Yeah, that's so sure. brutal, man. I would think about that all the time too. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um, my personal, uh, I, like I have a recent one. Um. I think last year, one of the you, you know that drive-in thing that I go to sometimes moods. Well, I've yeah, been yeah. there once, uh, where they do the thirty-five millimeter like it's like two-day event and it's in Vandergriff, Pennsylvania. Yep. Well, one of the years they had the the night was like Suspiria, Carrie, uh, and like two other like. I think it was like Return of Living. I don't know. I can't remember, but it was something good. And I, it was Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Suspiria, uh, maybe Dawn of the Dead, and uh, the other. What was the other one I said a second ago? Carrie. Carrie. Uh, 
and I missed that, and I, I would have loved to see Carrie on the big screen and even Suspiria, but mostly Carrie and Texas Chainsaw. God damn it, Texas Chainsaw would have been great. Um, so I missed that. That's like one of them. And the only other one I have is I had an opportunity when I was a little ass kid to go see Scream, uh, and I didn't. Um, I don't know why. Uh, you know, I was like five or something, but my I think my cousin went. And usually I always went to the movies with them. So, I mean, obviously it probably wasn't in my control uh, because I was five. But <laughs> uh, because I've seen Scream 2, Scream 3, and Scream 4 in the theater. So it always bummed me out that I never got to see the first one. And uh, mm. those are mine. But I am going to that drive-in this year, too. Uh, so I'm going to see Fright Night uh, on 35mm, The Lost Boys, Uh Fred Decker's The Monster Squad and the uh, Near Dark, Near Dark, which all vampire movies. Are you only going for the one night? Yeah, yeah. The first night is like Night of the Creeps, Night of the Comet, uh, a couple other ones. Um, yeah, I think there's like three night films and then one random one that's not. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Night of the Living like... Dead. Well, I think they're all like zombie-esque movies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, night of the yeah. Living Dead, uh, the remake actually. It's not the original. That's right. It is Savini remake. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, I'm yeah, going that's... for the second night because it's a little too far of a drive to unless you stay there both nights. But I ain't trying to do that. Plus, it's hard to get off work. I'm going with a few work friends, so it's gonna be hard for all of us to get off work. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it should be cool. I know you're jealous of the fright night thing. Yeah, I know. I know. That's totally awesome. Actually, it's such a great bill, man. It's too bad you couldn't go both nights, but yeah, pretty awesome stuff, man. Really, really good. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm a little bummed that they're playing. I, honestly, if I could choose, I would remove the Monster Squad. Like, I like Monster Squad and stuff, but it's it's just not like my idea of like, that's something you take your kid to. I, I don't feel like it's like, it's just uh, it, it doesn't really fit with the other three. I feel like Fright Night, Near Dark, and The Lost Boys. No, it really doesn't actually. I mean, Monster Squad is actually one of my favorite movies, but yeah, on that bill, it does it does kind of stick out a little bit. Yeah, and it's going to be a little slower and like not as fun. I feel like with like four, four adults watching it, you know what I mean? It's just well, especially if they've never seen the film. Like if it's like yeah, a first none time of them for them to. Oh, so it's going to be. Oh, dude, they're going to get lost in that one. They're going to be like, this movie fucking sucks. It's for kids. It's for kids. Well, kind of. (laughs) Like, it wouldn't be bad if they played that one last, but I think they're playing it second. So it's like Lost Boys, and then I would swap Near Dark to put that number two, and then the Monster Squad at number four. So it goes, right now the lineup is Lost Boys, uh, the Monster Squad, uh, Fright Night, and then Near Dark. And Near Dark's going to play at like four in the morning. So everybody's mm-hmm. like dead. Hmm. But yeah, do you have any regrets? I don't have any regrets for for theater, uh, like memories and stuff. I, I, you know, honestly, I just I could not think of anything for for theater. Um, I, I mean, probably my biggest regret for you know cinematic experiences would have been the fact that I just I lived in a city where I just didn't get a lot. You know, I mean, I had a lot more options when I was younger and stuff, but um, there was one kind of like lower keys uh, theater in town that used to get a lot of like pretty cool horror films and stuff. Like I remember telling you I'd seen uh, um, Hellraiser three in there like it played one night 
<laughs> one yeah, fucking night. Cool. I would have liked actually, to see Hellraiser 3. And I, you know, and I went and seen that, and that was, that was really cool. But I can't actually think of anything where I got kind of screwed out of seeing and stuff because, honest to God, like, I just we just don't don't get a lot but mm-hmm. um but honestly like you know <clears throat> in that in that realm it's not theater related but we actually oddly enough even brought this up earlier in the show it's kind of strange but um a few years ago i would say probably i don't know 6 7 years ago um i was kind of surfing ebay and i was looking for things and i came across <laughs> the phantasm uh you know, the Phantasm ball, the UK box set, you know, sphere. And, uh, it was like 50, they were asking like 50 bucks. And I was like, okay, this can't be right. I'm like, this is, this is insane. I'm like reading description says everything's good, blah, blah, blah. And I can't remember what the shipping was on this stuff, but fucking stupid me ended up passing on it. For some weird reason, I just didn't pick it up. I can't remember exactly the full reasons why i think i probably put it in my car and then it just sold right away i don't know but i didn't buy it like right on the spot and ever since then i'm always like i've been super pissed on myself because that's one thing i've always wanted and i never grabbed it and i'm fucking stupid for it because it was so cheap well you're not stupid if it gets a own sphere in the u.s this year if if it gets a sphere which i hope it does that'd be super cool but that set's really cool man you know i just i always regretted not grabbing that i'm just like the fuck it was like 50 bucks it was like stupid and and the funny thing was and the reason why i was questioning because at the time the cheapest one i could find was like 125 135 140 bucks you know kind of thing right and i'm like what the hell's wrong with this thing and i said it was like mint and i was like Okay, probably put it in there thinking, oh, I'll just grab it tomorrow. You know, maybe I'd already spent some money. You know, like some of those days where you, you spend money, you're like, I can't, I can't yeah. spend any more today, but I'll spend the money tomorrow, even though in reality that makes no difference. I would have <laughs> you know? passed on it too, to be honest. I wouldn't have bought it. Yeah, but that's just like, I, I love those type of pieces and things. And I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm fucking so stupid for passing on that. And, you know, even though it's probably going to get, hopefully it gets a spirit, that'd be pretty cool. But it'd be still cool to have it though. Come on. It's phantasm, right? You know, but yeah. All right. I don't. That was just one that I thought of, but yeah, no cinematic ones, not really. No, we have uh, one more voicemail here from Rob, so let's get rid of that one. Hey guys, Rob from Georgia. I uh, just thought I'd drop another quick one on you, just a quick one. Um, GP, back on uh, in the Halloween podcast, I can't remember exactly, but didn't I uh, hear you uh, at some point in that show throw a little love out to Friday the Third? That show and probably a million others. I was listening to the show, and so I may wake up like mid-stream of a conversation somewhere, and maybe I was dreaming it, I don't know, but it seems like I heard something. So uh, anyway, that got me to thinking, you know, when I was, I was 85, I guess, uh, 15 or whatever, you know, I saw that that movie in the theater. It's one of the only, maybe one of two movies, but it's one of the only ones that I actually walked out of, I mean, 15, 20 minutes in, just walked out. I can't remember it exactly, but all I think I do remember is I was so upset that you just knew at the beginning that this wasn't going to be the real Jason. And that got me so unbelievably furious that I just I just couldn't watch it anymore. And so I just got up and I went out and, and uh, kind of vented to the uh, the lady uh, behind the, uh, uh, the ticket counter or whatever. And uh, yeah, I can't even remember if I saw another movie. Uh, or not, or got my money back, or whatever. But I just remember uh, just uh, being so absolutely furious. 
know, I, I've kind of come back to that movie. It's weird. I don't think the same way about that movie anymore today. Of course, it's been a lot of years, but uh, same goes for Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, and I'll even say uh, Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. And uh, how about that? There's a show for you. Uh, maybe the three great franchises and the, uh, uh, the uh, sort of cast uh, to the side movies from those franchises. The, uh, season of the, Witch, <laughs> the Ginger and, Kids. Uh, Friday 13, Part <laughs> 5, and uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Uh, maybe you just could do a show where you revisit those three in particular and kind of revisit, you know, in light of the greater franchise. But uh, anyways, that's it. want to get out of here before I get cut off. Uh, hope you guys have a great week. See ya. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, you are correct. I throw lots of love for Friday 5 as well as Elm Street 2 and as well as Halloween 3. Um, my main Got thing... the greatest rack in the whole series, man. The greatest rack. <laughs> yeah, Debbie Sue Voorhees. Uh, so my thing with Friday five, and I've always felt this way. One, I find it very interesting, Rob, that you knew that it wasn't the real Jason. Cause once it was revealed that it wasn't the real Jason as a kid, I still didn't know it wasn't the real Jason. I thought Jason was wearing a human's, a human face mask. Uh, that was what I was thinking. I was like, That's weird. um, but anyway, uh, my thing with Friday five, and I've always felt this way. What do people like about the Friday the 13th films? Is it the endings? No, nobody gives a fuck about the endings. There's a few bad ones in the Friday the 13th series. They like a bunch of teenagers, cool characters, going out to the lake and getting killed off in cool ways. And they like seeing titties and they like seeing characters do drugs. Because they're and, having the sex. And, and do all that. Sex. That's why we like the Friday the 13th films. We like to see the cool kills and, and characters and shit. And Friday 5 has some of the best of all of those things. Boobs, kills characters come on man reggie the reckless damon ethel come on and uh you know the only thing that it doesn't have is tom matthews uh as tommy jarvis um but that was my thing it's like i don't really yeah. care how it ends because to me it's the same fucking movie it's the same movie as all the other ones Except for, I guess, technically, Jason's not doing the kills. But come on, that's fucking Jason, right? Even though at the end it shows that it's not. If you would chop that off, there would be no way that you could tell that that wasn't Jason. Mm. Yeah. It took me a long time to get... Yeah. What do you mean? Like, just where it is. It's different? Like, I don't know, man. It's kind of like all over the place. I don't know. There's something about part five that just doesn't feel exactly like well i mean especially like the first four you know i don't know there's something about it man it's just weird it, do- I, it doesn't have i don't know it feels exactly the same to me really yeah like exactly the same like part six feels less like those than part five like part five six really is all over the place well no yeah part six is like the biggest you know friday film right in in terms of like geography wise right it's kind of all over the place um i don't know in part five i haven't seen part five actually in a long time i'm i don't think i've watched part five since i did that marathon to be <laughs> honest but doesn't most of it take place at the uh um at the nut house yeah but it's on the lake i know but it it doesn't really showcase the, the lake like a whole lot you know what i'm saying like i can't honestly i can't really remember too well yeah, it's weird. I, I don't know. I've always thought, felt like part five like is 
one of the best Friday Thirteenths. If you would chop off the ending, like if if that yeah. didn't happen, I think people would say that it's like in the top three. I really do. If that ending didn't yeah. exist there, I think people would love this one. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty convinced, man. Like it just does not feel like that. You know, that straight up like camping type. You know, you know Friday the Thirteenth film that we that we grew to love. You know, from part two, three, and four and stuff, but. No, I, I've actually grown an appreciation for it, too. I mean, I've gotten over the fact. That, you know, the, the funny thing was, when I first watched Part 5 back in the day, I was like, I was, <laughs> I don't think I was as disappointed as some, like other people were with the ending and stuff. I was just like, okay. <laughs> Whatever. It didn't really, it didn't bug me as much as it did for other people well, and stuff. It's a really stupid ending. Used. It really I remember, is. <laughs> I remember being confused the first time I watched it. I was like, what the fuck just happened? Like, what? <laughs> you know, kind of thing, right? Yeah, it, I mean, and, it is a dumb ending. Yeah, but... But so is, you know... I mean, a lot of them are dumb. <laughs> like, part eight's really dumb. And, but anyway, it, it's my fourth favorite Friday the 13th film. Part four is my favorite. Part two is my second favorite. Part six is my third favorite. And then part five is my fourth favorite. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, 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 yep, I love them. I love Elm Street too. By the way, if you haven't heard, I, I just found that so funny that he brought up Elm Street too, <laughs> and Part Five. I'm like, my God, those are the two films that you defend to the death. I think Elm Street Two is my third favorite because I like Part Three the best, and then Part One, and then Part Two, and then Part huh. Four. Strange. It's very, very strange. Part three, man, of, of, you know, Season of the Witch. We've talked about it, man. I love that movie. Oh, yeah. Season of the Witch. I think out of all of those, like, Season of the Witch really has found a hardcore audience. I just can't get over how people still trip balls about the, like, oh, it's not a Halloween film, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, you're right. It doesn't have Michael Myers in it, but it doesn't mean that it can't be a decent film. I don't think it's a. I, I we had that conversation, but I actually don't think it's very good. I, I just like it. It's stupid. It makes no sense, especially no, it the to- ending. No, it completely doesn't make sense. But that's what makes it so much fun and awesome. It's fun. Is that it's so ludicrous. It's so, the whole idea of what they're trying to accomplish is fucking ludicrous. It's ridiculous. But it has a lot. It, you know, it's got a lot of good scenes in the film. Like the masks are awesome. It's got a lot of memorable things, like the music. Yeah. The jingles, man. It's got so much memorable moments. I always think of the right. ending where, spoiler alert, like Chalice is like calling the TV networks, telling them to like change the station. It's like, yeah, that's that's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. <laughs> they, 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 that they, works. They, they, I mean, I know we talked about this before, but one of my favorite things about Season of the Witch, though, is the fact that they had the balls to totally desecrate a kid. <laughs> like right on fucking screen, just eat his head off. I love yeah, that. I'm always a fan of killing kids for sure. But it's just the way they do it. It's so fucking vicious and brutal. You're just like, yes, that just yeah. happened. I think I think that's brilliant. That's totally awesome. And that's worth the admission right there for not having Michael Myers in the film. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's totally good. So, yeah. So that is the voicemails, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, voicemails. Holy shit, that was there was a lot. I guess also we had a long layover too, though. So yeah, you know, it is what it is. Alrighty, so 
getting into the uh, the morbid fact of the week. Uh, of the week? I would say of the week. You do that with everything. I don't know why. Here's the news whatever. of the week. <laughs> the news of the week, yeah. Uh, yeah, the coroner's report, courtesy of Rue Morg of Weird Stats and Morbid Facts. Um, this one is coming from the brand new issue, actually, uh, issue 165, April 2016. I actually just got this in the mail today, and I was like, well, perfect. Get this in the mail today. Might as well read out something on here. Um, and I'm going to go with the – I haven't even read through the whole list yet, but I'm going to pick the first one that comes to uh, to my eye here. I don't know. It's it's kind of cool. Again, this person was actually brought up earlier in the in the show. Um, earlier Earlier – in his career, Bill Mosley moved to New York City in hopes of getting on Saturday Night Live. Hmm. I have heard <laughs> that before, actually. Really? I did not know that. I'm just I'm trying to picture Bill Mosley on Saturday Night Live. And I'm trying to think of when it was. And I'm thinking pre oh, it must have been like early eighties, maybe late seventies, early eighties or something like that. Like um, who he would have been on the show if he had made the show, like who he would have been on the show with. <laughs> What actually kind of makes sense, considering how he got Chainsaw 2, was from playing a character in a video that he made for, like, like a... It was called, like, the Nail... Or the... What was it? Like, the Nail Polish Massacre or something like that? <laughs> nail Polish Massacre? It, it was something like that. Like, the... Uh, that sounds like, awesome. Say, nail File Massacre or something like that. <laughs> it just gets better. <laughs> So good. So what he what he played? It's a, it's actually a real thing. Yeah, like he made that video where he played like like the hitchhiker character or something. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm I'm pretty unless I'm just making shit up. I don't know. <laughs> I honestly have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm loving it though. This is great. I got to see this. Yeah, but I'm, I don't know if it, it still exists or like if you can find it anywhere. But I'm pretty sure that's like how he got noticed. You're totally making shit up right now. Completely. Hmm. I might be. <laughs> I could be. I don't know. Man, I really like the artwork on this new Room Org magazine. It's uh, got Rob Zombie on the cover, of course. And uh, again, who we talked about earlier in the show. It's kind of funny how things just kind of, uh, you know, go in circles a little bit. And, you know, there's a huge, <laughs> there is actually a huge, um, well, I guess that kind of makes sense that they had that little morbid fact about Bill Mosley. But there is a whole section in here called slice them thick and it's about the texas chainsaw massacre 2 film that's cool yeah really really cool so kind of interesting yeah looking forward to reading that so i feel like i i'm hoping that i didn't make that shit up now because <laughs> like i hope you I did can't man, find anything on you, it right now you always you take so much pride in and not spitting out bullshit and, and non-factual news ah, things like is. that if you just made that up that is I brilliant i found it Okay, damn it. <laughs> Bill Mosley got the part of Chop Top in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 based on a performance he did in a short film called The Texas Chainsaw Manicure. Where he, Manicure? Yeah, and now I remember. He played – he essentially played – like because you know how Chop Top's, Top's very similar to the Hitchhiker because they're brothers. Like he was yeah. playing the version of the Hitchhiker. Hmm. A- and he was like doing his like li- – like, laugh thing and um i guess toby hooper seen that and he was like hey this guy would be great to actually play like a character 
Fuck, that's so awesome. The Chainsaw so, yeah. Panic Year. Because that was really yeah. one of his first films, Bill Mosley, was Texas Chainsaw 2. Yeah, yeah. Before that, I think he only did one thing in 82. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Wow. Wow. I think that's the most we've ever talked about the morbid fact before. I think so. I think so. <laughs> that's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, that is going to conclude Mood Swings. Yeah. Alrighty, so getting into the WWW portion of the show, and well, that's what this whole show is about, isn't it? Yeah, what we watch part three, part three, or what we watch volume. three, we use volume three. Yeah, we use volume three. What we watch volume three, and that is simply well, with the two of us, is going to be a back and forth review based thing, and yeah, so yeah. this is what we've watched. I basically, I guess. Yeah, it's just time. like an extended version of what we normally do in the What We Watch segment. Yeah, so basically with that said, that there is no main review. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of one of those weeks where we're just like, ah, let's just chill and talk about some movies and not have anything specific. Alrighty, you want to go first? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I watched very recently uh, a couple nights ago is one that, man... I'll just say the title first. It's The Crawlers from 1993, also known as Contamination Point 7, also known as Troll 3, uh, directed by Joe Diamato. I and, never uh, Fucking Troll 3, man. Yeah, and Fabrizio Laurenti, uh, and direct, uh, written by Rossello Drude, Drade, Drude, whatever. He did uh, Troll 2. And this title, this film actually was released as Troll 3 in certain territories, uh, and even Troll 4 in certain territories, um, which is very interesting because there's not a goddamn troll in this film at all. <laughs> I know, that's what I always thought. It was so strange. Uh, yeah. So this film, very interesting, man. Do you remember when you were a kid and I'm pretty sure anybody listening to this who grew up in the 80s or 90s probably had a bunch of these. You had VHS tapes that were recorded off of TV or dubs. They're essentially bootlegs, right? And they were these blank tapes and you usually had like three, four, five, sometimes even six films on one tape. Yeah. Uh, and you'd write the names down. So I had Friday the 13th uh, Part 9, which is Jason Goes to Hell. Oddly enough, I think came out in 93 as well, or 91, not sure. Uh, and The Crawlers, uh, as I had, it wasn't called Contamination 7. Uh, it was called The Crawlers on one tape. And I would always watch Friday the 13th, and then it would go into The Crawlers. And for years, I had no idea what it was called or what it was or anything. Uh, <laughs> you know, because, you know, I was probably like five at the time of me watching this. And then I lost that tape or somebody took it or borrowed it or something. And then I never had it again. But I always remembered this movie about like killer roots. Uh, and, you know, that's my little prelude to this film. So I always wanted to revisit it for years. And when I seen Scream Factory put it out in that all night marathon pack, I was pretty excited to eventually check it out. Finally made it to that pack, by the way. <laughs> I was just going to say, finally. <laughs> <laughs> I think that pack was released three years ago now. And <laughs> the first film I watched out of there was The Crawlers. And uh, it's called Contamination Point Seven in the Scream Factory release. Basically follows a small town. I believe it's like set in Alaska or something, or that's where it was filmed. I have no idea, but it's like hot. Uh, weird, weirdo, low budget, super cheesy film. 
basically there's this evil corporation of this like nuclear plant that is like hiding all of their radioactive barrels of or drums of radioactiveness like in the dirt around the town and it's basically turning the forest trees into like roots that are like killing people (laughs) you know they're just it's funny how it works like think tremors in terms of like underground like crawlers things but they're just roots and then they just like puncture people's bodies and drag them and kill them and choke them and stuff um i think the acting in this film is like some of the most atrocious acting i've ever heard in my life man uh the (laughs) effects are cheesy the whole film is super cheesy and bad it's a bad movie but i honestly love it like i love this movie it's obviously nostalgia uh it's not a good movie but there's something just charming about it from for me like in the so bad it's good territory which doesn't surprise me coming from the guy who wrote troll 2 uh, which is one of the all-time great so bad it's good movies and what's really cool about this guy if you watch the best worst movie documentary is he thinks he's doing a good job so that my friends is the recipe for success in a so bad it's good movie is for the people to be completely oblivious and try because when you don't try it's just stupid but when you're trying your hardest and you get a crappy movie you get <laughs> stuff like two and the crawlers and my friends <laughs> i really really like contamination point seven the crawlers troll three troll four whatever you want to call it it's fun there's some all right kills in there ish I love <laughs> the roots, man. The roots are fucking awesome. The roots actually look pretty good. Yeah. Like they, they look they they look cool. They don't really look like roots, but they look like ropes. <laughs> That's probably what they are, man. They're ropes with like wire tw- through them. Yeah, and they make <laughs> the controls. craziest sounds and stuff. The dude, I swear, like the acting from like the sheriff is like the worst ever, but it's so funny. <laughs> I know. Uh, and honestly, yeah. like the the town is just like a bunch of these like weirdo people and stuff. Like it, it's a it's like a fun little watch. I give it a four out of ten. Not a good movie at all, but I really like it. <laughs> yeah, it's super fun, man. I I think I remember the music being pretty cool in it too. Yeah, and there's actually some good POV root shots, like Rudovision, where they're like crawling on the ground and stuff. That's yeah. they actually do like a pretty good job with that stuff. And that's yeah, awful. <laughs> that's awesome I, I'm, I'm glad that you finally got to that though oh yeah you know that four pack that's, uh, I, that's i'm awesome. curious about like the dungeon master and like all the other films in there too because i haven't uh, well i mean if you want you could probably just skip the dungeon master and you know wait for or do you have the double feature blu-ray yeah i have <laughs> most of those other ones that they put out the lamp or i actually do suggest watch the you know or check out the transfer on the dvd and then pop in the blu-ray <laughs> it's it's well. actually it's actually pretty good. The Blu-ray transfer is pretty good. Um, all right, so first film up here for t- me tonight is a film from 2015, released uh, just recently in 2016, and it is a film that I'd heard a little bit about. Um, not so much buzz, but it got my attention because I really like these type of films. They always kind of freak me out a little bit. Uh, it's kind of a different type of home invasion film. And it's called Intruders. Um. Yeah, this one right here is basically about this this girl, Anna. She suffers from agoraphobia, um, which is, you know, a phobia where you just you can't leave your house, basically. Um, and uh, she has this kind of errand boy who brings her lunches and, and 
food on a regular basis. Uh, played by Rory Culkin, of course, Macaulay Culkin's, uh, I think, youngest brother, I believe. And um, anyways, they have this like relationship and, you know, he comes into the house and they, you know, they have their conversations and things like that. And she's really screwed up. Like I said, she suffers from agoraphobia. Fuck that word. It's hard to say. Um, But, uh, you know, so she's stuck in her house. Plus, she's she's got her brother is dying upstairs and she's got all these issues and stuff. And uh, she really has no one to confide to except for this, you know, this food delivery boy. Anyways. Out of the blue one day, she decides to tell him that she's got like a bunch of money. She wants to give him a bunch of money and stuff because she has all this cash around the house and she doesn't really know what to do with it. She kind of wants to get rid of the money and kind of start over again and just do whatever. I don't really know where exactly she's going with this. Um, But anyway, she decides that it was a good idea to tell him Uh, her brother ends up passing away. And, you know, of course, she's supposed to be at the funeral and, you know, a couple intruders uh, come to her house, break into the house. And of course she's there. And what they don't realize is that she doesn't just suffer from agoraphobia. Uh, she's also a little bit fucked in the head and these guys get, end up getting trapped inside this house. And now they got to figure out a way to get out because now the, the, the roles are basically reversed in this kind of oddball, uh, home invasion film. Now, my thoughts on this one, um, I really do like the premise of the film. Uh, it's got pretty good acting and I think she does a good job. Um, the problem is with the intruders or the, you know, the, the antagonists in the film is that they're so fucking cliched and the dialogue is written so poorly. Like they have some of the most generic dialogue and lines in this film. Like there's one line in this film that literally made me piss myself and he's like, well, she's seen our face. And I was like, oh, my God, are you fucking kidding me? I've heard this in like a million fucking films. You couldn't come up with something a little better than that. Give me a break. Um, But, yeah, the uh, the antagonists in the film, they are so unlikable that they're actually good. You know, you just hate them so much. They're just they're just pieces of shit. Right. And, um, of course, uh, you know, Rory Culkin's character, he ends up showing up later in the film and stuff like that. And. You know, and he feels really shitty for what he did. He he just, you know, kind of mentioned it in passing, which, you know, there is kind of minor plot holes in the film, too. It's like it's not really, you know, determined that, you know, that maybe he had little more alternative, you know, things going on with uh, why you would tell his brother and, you know, his friends about this money and things like that, of course. Um, but, you know, ultimately, the film is pretty entertaining. Uh there, like I said, there is minor plot holes in the film that are kind of like, well, you can probably kind of disconnect yourself from that. At, you know, it points in the film and kind of enjoy it for what it is. But at the same time, it's like the whole storyline is a little unbelievable. And the whole third act and the way the resolution in the film kind of goes down. I'm just like, I can't see it ever happening. It's just it's just too unbelievable that, you know, agoraphobia person that suffers from agoraphobia with this is how it would go down and things like that. So I don't know, man, there was, there was times in the film that I was really enjoying, um, you know, at least the acting was good. Uh, but it, it's just so unbelievable that I don't know. It, it, it's kind of weird. I'm, I'm kind of conflicted on how I fully feel about this film. I do like what was going on and things like that, but overall I think it's pretty, it's actually pretty decent when it comes down to it. But, uh, Mm, I do recommend this film uh, for, you know, for a definitely one time watch anyways. But like I said, though, you you, you just kind of have to kind of disconnect yourself towards the end of the film 
Um, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. I give it about a six and a half out of 10. It's a pretty well-made film. I think the cinematography inside the house is actually pretty well executed. There's a lot of really good scenes, uh, of like, you know, kind of panning shots and things like that and stuff. But yeah, I just wish they had wrote the characters a little bit better in this film and kind of filled in the holes, but you know, it is what it is. It's, you know, this isn't the most original idea for a film. We've seen these type of reversed home invasion films before, and I think they've worked a little better in the past, but you know, all in all, not a bad film, couple decent kills, not so much gore and blood, a little bit, things like that. Not a bad film. I do recommend it though. All right. Uh, I think Jason just reviewed that one. Jason Lloyd. Um, I haven't heard that show yet, but um, I always um, like the agoraphobia, agoraphobia idea, but it doesn't feel like it's executed ever super good. Well, it, it, the problem is with that whole idea of agoraphobia is how you gonna what your resolution is gonna come to. Yeah, you know, like I mean, if you can't just stay, I mean, I, I don't want to give too many spoilers away, but I think the way that the whole film kind of, you know the resolution to it is it's just kind of unbelievable a little bit. You know, I, I just can't see it happening. I mean, if you suffer that hard from that disease, yeah, chances are it's really not going to go down the way it is, but eh, it is what it is, man. I, I'm curious to hear what he says on the film, but I don't know, man, there was just, there was points in this film with that, that just really were kind of irritating me with the, with the characters. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? You are so unbelievably an asshole that it's just, <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know, but it was okay though. It was okay. All right. Uh, this next one that I'm going to cover, uh, I'm not going to go into it too much cause it still is relatively new, but it is, uh, a film that was released festively in 2015. Uh, got its media release in 2016 and that is kill or be killed. This is a, uh, Western horror ish film. Uh, coming hot off the hills of uh, Bone Tomahawk of last year, RJ, RLG, RLG Entertainment. Uh, I think it's a company owned by Image Entertainment or a partner company. Uh, they released Kill or Be Killed. And f- first thing I thought was, okay, this is obviously the success of Bone Tomahawk. They hurry up and quickly made another Western horror film. But from what I read online, this was actually in production before Bone Tomahawk because – um, one of the things that I thought ori- initially when I watched it is like, oh, it's going to be like a just a cash in rip off type thing by the same company because that's the same company that released Bone Tomahawk. But it's, it, it was in production first, so I can't make that comparison. Um, it follows an outlaw named Claude who has a crew of people and he wants to put a retirement plan in action by attempting to lead uh, his gang across Texas to recover uh, cash. Uh, a bunch of um, gold and money and stuff that uh, was hidden away from a botched railroad heist. Um, This one I did enjoy. I thought it was pretty good. I did think it was a little bit too long. It's an hour and 43 minutes. I easily think you could have made it 90 minutes. Um, You spend a lot of time with the characters interacting with each other. It's kind of a slow film. Not much horror in it. It definitely feels more Western, much like bone tomahawk did uh and but i did like the characters uh for such a low budget the landscapes the scenes of uh you know the period piece nature of it uh very effective very very well executed there uh 
there's like one character who was like a a younger kid who had this little dummy who reminded me of Slappy from uh, the Goosebumps series. Uh, And, you know, there's there's some moments of gore, actually, which I was like, all right, all right, like uh, amputated type shit and stuff like that. And there's one scene where there's like, uh, you know, a hole in a body part and it's actually pretty, pretty gory and looks pretty good. Uh, one thing that I thought was pretty interesting is it does have a few familiar faces in horror and I've only, I only noticed one of them until afterwards, you know, looking at some of the cast and stuff on IMDb, uh, Michael Berryman was the one I noticed plays a pretty cool character. Um, he's kind of hard to miss though. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And he's not in it that much. And then, uh, two other people that I didn't expect or didn't notice, never would have noticed, uh, Edwin Nail, who played, uh, the hitchhiker has a little role in this film uh, in, from Texas Chainsaw 1. And then another Texas Chainsaw alum, uh, Bill Johnson, who played Leatherface Did you just Chainsaw. say alum? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you've been hanging out with the chick from work too much, man. Shorten up your words there. Yeah. Uh, well, I think people do use that word. <laughs> really? Uh, I don't, maybe. Uh, Bill Johnson, who played uh, Leatherface in Chainsaw 2, is in this film. So that's pretty cool. Uh, overall, I did. I, I thought it was decent. It, it, you know, just I, I kept thinking of Bone Tomahawk because it's from the same company and stuff, and it's just it's nowhere near as powerful and as good as that. But I shouldn't really compare it. Uh, it's a solid western with some horror <laughs> elements. It, de- it definitely is for for a low budget one like that. I enjoyed it. I give it a seven out of ten. Is it is it like on the same type of level for like cinematography? No, it's it has decent cinematography, but it, not as good as Bone Tomahawk. Like, how's the locations in it though? Like, it doesn't look pretty. Like Bone Tomahawk, yeah, because they travel a lot and stuff too. Like, the locations are all good. I think that's one of the high points of the film. Yeah. Like, it really feels like, you know, like it was made in the 1900s. You know, it was set in the 1900s. Yeah. It has that feel. Yeah, as long as it has that like authentic type feel to it, and you know that look. Those type of films usually do work for me. It's kind of like a make or break thing, you know, when you're watching those type of films. If it doesn't feel like authentic, it's just like, no, not working at all. No matter how good the story is or whatever, it's like, it's not working. Yeah, I think people will enjoy it. It's not going to make a splash like Ben Tomahawk did, but people will enjoy it. Yeah, that's good. Cool. Alrighty, so next up here for me is a release by Scream Factory. And I'd actually heard a little bit of buzz about this one, too. And, you know, it's one of those things where I was like, are you kidding me, man? Every fucking year, we always have multiple films come out in the same year with the same name. And I'm just like, it's ridiculous. How does this this happen every year? Like, I don't know, man. I can't really think of too many examples right now. But there's always films that come out with the same name. And I'm just like, how does this Uh, happen consistently? From 2013. Wasn't there three films that year or something? Like two or three? I don't know. Yeah, and then Final Girls from last year. Final Girls, yeah. And this year, of course, it's The Boy. (laughs) And so Scream Factory put out this film. While I believe The Boy, the other one, was in theaters, uh, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, and this one right here is a chiller film, so made-for-TV type film, which... I have to say, man, the uh, the production value on this film is, you know, it's definitely low budget, but it's shot really, really well. It's kind of cool, actually, to see. Uh, starring David Morris and uh, Rain Wilson's in this film also. Um, it's basically about a, it's like, it's a, it, pretty much a character study of this nine-year-old boy. Uh, the It takes place, like, in the late 80s. Um, 
It's about him and his father. Uh, the mom is split. Uh, they, his father owns a, uh, um, kind of like a, a mountaintop motel. And at one time, this mountain or this mountaintop motel used to be a, uh, like a really big tourist attraction for people because it's, well, it's on top of the mountain and people used to drive up there and stay there and, you know, for the views, his father owned it and, you know, he passed it down and, you know, eventually David Morse's character was going to pass it down to his, his boy too. And things like that. But now the thing is business is super, super slow. You know, everyone's kind of, well, it's the eighties now. Nobody's like willing to, you know, drive out to certain places just for views and things like that. So they're really suffering and it shows really well. Like I think the, um, the you know just the just the acting in this film just really portrays their misery so well i think that david morris does a great job he's just so down on his luck and but he keeps it really positive it's kind of interesting but it reflects on on the little boy in this film like a ton it's you know his little boy's name is ted he's nine years old and he sees it man you know he sees his dad having such a rough time and things like that and you know he has no friends. There's no one around to, to associate with. Now, the thing with this boy is that it's, it's, it's a really realistic, um, character study of this boy, because honest to God, like if you were, if you, if you put yourself into this situation where, you know, you're at this motel just with your father, there's no one around, you know, curiosity is probably going to get the best you. And that's what happens to this boy. He comes, he, he becomes fascinated with death. A little bit, you know, at first he starts just collecting, you know, roadkill on the roads and he'd bring it to his dad and his dad would give him a quarter out of the register and things like that. But then he wants to kind of get more into it. And, you know, he kind of elevates the point where he starts baiting animals onto the road and, you know, hence a deer. And, uh, you know, and which leads me into rain, uh, rain Wilson's character where he baits his deer. He, uh, rain Wilson's character hits his deer in a car and kind of totals his car and, and ends up having to stay with the family or with the boy and his father in this motel, which he becomes friends with him because he's there for a little bit and things like that. And, and that's where your film kind of takes off. Um, and like I said, you know, this one right here is a character study and it's executed brilliantly. I think it's really executed awesomely. I love the setting in this film. The, the cinematography is amazing, but the acting, the atmosphere, uh, even the music in this is just great, but it's just it's portrayed so honest. It's such an honest feeling film because like I said before, you know, if you put yourself into this little kid's situation and he's nine years old, he's very curious about everything in life and he just wants to be around people, you know, the curiosities are probably going to get the best of you. And that's really what this is. Uh, like I said, he befriends this, this really kind of odd character uh, played by rain Wilson. And you can tell that there's something up with this character and the little boy learns things about him. He's got ears, you know, he listens to things, he sees things. And, uh, you know, he kind of uses, um, what rain Wilson has gone through to his advantage, you know, which leads into the, the second half of the film. Um, very, very cool film. I, I really like these character studies. Now, when I first went into this film, I was thinking like, this is going to be some kind of weird, uh, you know, kind of little kid slasher type film. I didn't really know anything that was going into it, but no, it's completely not like that. It's, it's a slow burn type film that is very intriguing. All you want to do is just see how this is going to resolve. You want to see the resolution in this film. And I think it's executed really well. It's really well done. Music's great. Like I said, it takes place in the 80s. So you got like, you know, 80s music and things like that. But very interesting, very interesting film of how it just goes down. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I was never bored for a second in this one. I thought it was great. 
great performances. I think the little boy did a great job. Um, you know, it's, it just, you can see the looks on his face. I mean, I know he's a kid, but it's really crazy to see how you can just see the desperation in his face. And he's just the loneliness in his face. And, oh, he does such a great job. David Morris, awesome as the father in this. He does such a great job. Um, there's other things that go on in the film. I'm not going to give too much away because it's one of those type of films that you can kind of explain right through. Um, very strange. But um, all I'll say, it's a slow burn character study of this boy fantastic film i think it's really really good i think everyone needs to check it out and it's kind of a sleeper hit i think it's going to be a sleeper hit because i don't think a lot of people are going to check this out unless you hear this and you know you like what you hear but uh i don't really want to give anything else away about it and i'm going to give it about a about an eight out of ten i really enjoyed this film i think it was fantastic definitely one of the better you know screen factory chiller films that uh, be put out by them it's awesome i couldn't recommend it enough wow that's surprising honestly because uh i thought that the cover looked like the cub kind of and i wasn't really or cub rather for more exploitation i wasn't really too interested but now i am thanks <laughs> yeah dude it's it's not what i would honestly i was kind of thinking the same thing you know i was thinking like this killer kid film like okay the boy it's it's completely different man you get into the head of them you know and you really kind to you just you start to associate you know just kind of you, you develop this relationship with him in the film as you're watching. You're like, I can totally understand why this kid is acting and doing what he is doing because he is fucking bored. He's a mess. His mother left his father for a trucker, you know, and went off to Florida and stuff. And he's, he's fucked up, man. You know, he's messed up and it's a good film, man. Really, really good. I, I think it's, I, I, I know for a fact, this is one that no one's going to end up seeing this year. Which is a shame. It's cool. Good. All right. So uh, next up for me, uh, I was working my way through the Vincent Price Collection Volume 1, which is now long out of print. Look on my YouTube channel coming up here in the next couple of days. I'm going to have a like kind of breakdown of the set and like what I think it's worth and shit like that. But one of the films, one of the last films I had to check out in there was the Abominable Dr. Fibes from 1971. Uh, this film is probably the second best in the set next to Witchfinder general and it's it's really cool uh because it's kind of this bizarre mixture of uh sort of vibes and it follows a guy played by vincent price who's like really pissed off that his wife uh had has died and he kind of places the blame on nine doctors who uh, perform different various uh, surgeries and things like that. He thinks that it's their fault that she died. So uh, he's getting his revenge by sort of taking his interpretation of the uh, nine plagues of uh, like biblical, biblical plagues, like of Egypt and shit. I'm not really well versed in my biblical knowledge but uh, i think that's kind of <laughs> what it is so like uh they changed some of the plagues because i did go on wikipedia and look at like what the actual plagues were and stuff like that uh it's like boils bats bats was not one of the plagues uh bees which wasn't one of the plagues i don't think uh frogs m m all kind of stuff uh and he it's basically you follow uh him killing each one of these doctors and then a detective who's trying to stop him and figure out who he is uh, really, really fun movie, honestly. Like, I love the almost Jigsaw-esque nature of it where he's, like, killing these people in these weird ways um, because they did wrong or whatever in his eyes. 
but it also has this layer of black comedy to it this very like dry british humor as well uh i mean the detective is like very britishy and funny uh (laughs) but i was actually a little surprised with this one because it opens up with like this weird scene where he's like playing an organ and i just instantly would like wasn't really feeling it like i almost thought it was gonna be like a musical or something weird like that uh (laughs) but it turned out to be pretty damn good uh the you know even some of the scenes of death are a little brutal you know i mean i guess it was 71 so it was starting to get the violence was starting to amp up with like the stuff over in uh england with like hammer horror and stuff like that uh but you know it, it, it it's a pretty solid little movie there and i wasn't expecting it to be uh as solid as it was simply because i it didn't really seem like my cup of tea necessarily uh vincent price's character is a little more reserved in this one like he doesn't i don't even think he talks really um but yeah uh pretty pretty cool pretty cool i i enjoyed it uh, i give that one a seven out of ten nice nice <clears throat> you like yeah, dr so fives fun- yeah man i love dr fives man <laughs> it's great i haven't I, honestly man i've the sequel's great too man yeah i, I, I stuff probably will get to that when i get to the next vincent price set isn't it in one of the other sets uh is it in the second one i think i can't even remember i think it remember if it is yeah i think it is actually. yeah it took me nice. forever to finally make my way through that set i list i listened to every commentary watched all the features and the movies there's so much content in that set but a little spoiler alert for my like review some of it isn't that worthwhile the special features and shit no that sucks <clears throat> some of it's good but some of it isn't shit Alrighty, so uh, getting into my next one here. Um, this one is a course coming from Scream Factory once again. Uh, it is directed by Bruce McDonald, a Canadian director who directed um, Pontypool, which is a film that I, I, I've talked highly about many, many times. So I was really, really intrigued to check out this follow-up film um, called Hellions. And I was you know, really surprised actually that Scream Factory – release this one i don't know why i was i i I don't know it's just i i guess not really because wasn't pontypool was actually released by ifc wasn't it it was actually it was released by ifc so yeah this is an ifc release and scream factory but you know and you know going into this film i didn't really know what to expect because i had heard so many mixed opinions on this one mostly negative everyone's saying it was very disappointing and uh yeah, and you know that really just makes me want to watch it more when when there's more negative you know reviews about a film because I'm thinking to myself going it looks cool so um, basically this one right here is about a uh, a girl named Dora uh, beginning the film she finds out that she is um, that she's actually pregnant and uh, so it's Halloween night. And she's waiting for her boyfriend to come pick her up. And she's trying to figure out a way that she's basically going to break this news to him. I don't know why she would decide to tell him on Halloween if you're going to go to a big Halloween party. But anyways, she's trying to figure out a way to kind of break the news to him that, you know, they're going to have a baby. And um, her parents, she lives with her parents, obviously. She's still a teenager. And her parents are gone. And she's waiting for her boyfriend to pick him up. Anyways, it's Halloween. Kids start coming to the door, trick-or-treating. 
And it's like these really fucking weird kids start showing up at her house. She kind of lives like in this, uh, I would say like almost in the country, like in an isolated type area. So the kids that start showing up at her house, it's very, very strange. Um, And they very, very, very reminiscent of Sam from Trick or Treat. Like, I won't lie. Like when she first opens up the door, when the, you know, the first kids come to the door and you see these these costumes they look identical to sam <laughs> from which from uh, sam's costume was sort of based on like early like great depression era halloween costumes from what it kind of makes sense it kind of makes sense because it, with the potato sack on the head and things like that i guess it kind of makes sense you know use what you can right um but anyways so these kids start coming to the door and they're very kind of creepy you know they're not saying trick or treat or whatever so she gives these kids the candy they take off come back and they just start harassing her. She kind of starts freaking out. She's phoning her boyfriend, things like that. And uh, no answer. Doorbell rings again. She opens up the door. And yeah, they've basically got a, a sack with her boyfriend's head in there. Now she knows it's for real. These kids aren't fucking around. And they won't leave her alone because they want something from her. And yeah, so that's basically her film. So now she's got to figure out exactly what the fuck these kids want from her and why they're harassing her. And uh, um, there's a cop in the film played by Robert Patrick who, you know, essentially. You said phoning, by the way. Just pointing that out. Phoning? Okay. (laughs) Anyways. So anyways, uh, so the the secondary main character in the film is, is, um, you know, Robert Patrick. Anyways, they kind of team up against these kids because these kids are fucking completely psychotic and yeah it's just them trying to figure out a way out of this fucking mess um now the storyline is pretty basic you know it's a bunch of kids basically harassing shit or they want something from her um the thing that i liked about this film is that it is set on halloween but at least this movie actually had a really good Halloween look and feel and setting to it. Damn it. it really, that means I'm not watching it till October, <laughs> man. I was really impressed with this because honestly, right from the get go of the film, it has nothing but Halloween decorations. The house is fantastic. There's like, they really get into it, man. They must've had like 30 carved pumpkins on the, on the uh, porch and all through the lawn and stuff. It was just Halloween glory. It really had that feel to it. And it, it really did feel like Halloween. It was awesome. Great atmosphere. It was kind of like kind of slow and downplayed and stuff. I really kind of liked it. Um, you know, the first half of the film is really crazy, you know, because it's just kind of a lot of developments kind of very kind of slow what's going on. And then when the shit kind of goes down, I think that's where the film kind of suffers quite a bit because there is really, really big plot holes in the film. Um, I mean, I, I shouldn't say like huge plot holes, but there is minor plot holes. And I think this is the reason why people kind of shit on the film a little bit. I think I've heard, you know, some people say that they really like to look and feel the film, but then the second half of the film kind of tails off and it just goes absolutely nowhere, blah, blah, blah. Well, the thing is, I do agree with that a little bit. I think that if you're looking for like some absolute resolution in this, you're probably not going to get it. It is a little ambiguous to a point, um, but I do think that there is something there. I don't think it's completely outrageous. I mean, obviously the story, what it is, is is a little crazy, but I think it's kind of cool. I think it's actually really cool what Hellions are and what they're looking for and what they're trying to do and things like that. I kind of like it. I think if you dig deeper into the story, 
um, and kind of, you know, look beyond the visuals, which is so fantastic in this. I think, uh, you know, like I said, the cinematography, the visuals, everything about atmospheres looks awesome. I think the acting's great. I think Robert Patrick is great in this. Uh, the lead character uh, played by, uh, I'm not even sure what her name is, but I think she does a great job too. So they're selling it quite well. Like she is fucking terrified in this. Really good. Um, and the kids are creepy, obviously, because they're, well, they kind of look like Sam. If you can just picture Sam, then that's what you're going to get. But yeah, I do think that uh, there is minor problems in the second half of this film that definitely plague this, definitely plague this film. But I think if you can kind of get away from that, I think it's, you know, it's it's a decent watch. And I'm actually looking forward to checking this out again because maybe I can dig deeper and kind of figure out something else that you know maybe i missed the first time and stuff because i think most people that are watching and reviewing this film have only seen it once like myself so who knows maybe there is something there maybe i'm missing something i don't know but i think there is problems with the resolution in this and uh but overall i think it's a visual treat i think it's good yeah visual treat good choice of words yeah and maybe maybe it's one of those cases where it's uh more styles over substance i don't know be be your own judge when you when you check it out but i think there is something here and i think it's really good i think it's actually pretty good i mean it's not a masterpiece by any means but you know there's a lot of halloween films that have come out in the last few years that really don't feel like halloween films how many Halloween films have you seen or, you know, films that are based on Halloween. I shouldn't say Halloween films, you know, based on or that were based, you know, on Halloween night that didn't really feel like Halloween. You know, you've probably seen a few, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. This one totally feels like it. It's great. So that's a big plus. Minor problems. Definitely worth the watch. I mean, you can pick this one up for super cheap. So, you know, give it a shot. I'm going to give it a seven out of ten. I actually really enjoyed it. So I'm looking forward to checking it out again. Cool, cool. Seven out of ten. That's. I'm just saying. I'm just good. saying. Fuck the haters. I don't know. Understand why everyone's tripping balls in this, saying it was terrible. Not ter- terrible is such a terrible word to describe this film. It yeah. might be confusing. It might be confusing a little bit, but it's not terrible. All right. So uh, next up for me. So uh, I've been doing a thing lately where I've been checking out horror films that hit the theaters. Uh, which, you know, before I seen The Witch. I think it was 2013 was the last time I went to see a movie in the theater, and that was the Evil Dead remake. So uh, really, really cool to kind of be back, and I'm really enjoying it. So uh, a couple weeks ago, I went and seen The Witch, and last week, I went and seen 10 Cloverfield Lane from 2016. So uh, this is J.J. Uh, Abrams produced, uh, kind of linked to Cloverfield. Uh, it was marketed as whether it is or not. I'm not going to spoil things, and I'll let you decide that for your own. I'll keep this one very spoiler-free, guys. Uh, basically, it follows a young woman who, at the opening of the film, we see that she is leaving her husband. She leaves her wedding ring on the counter, and she packs up a bag and hops in the car and takes off. Uh, she's messing with her phone as her husband's trying to call her, you know, please come back. We can work this out, that type of thing. And all of a sudden, boom, her car gets smashed by another car. Uh, she wakes up chained to a pipe and, uh, John Goodman, who is awesome, by the way, I love John Goodman He's and one Roseanne of my and, uh, Red State, uh, Big Lebowski. I mean, dude is so underutilized in Hollywood. I've said it for uh, years. He's one of my favorite actors, actually. Yeah, he he plays a character who uh, comes down and she immediately attacks him because she's chained to a pipe in a basement and it's kind of weird. 
uh, and he eventually calms her down uh, and he explains to her that there was an attack and the attack, whether it was uh, from Russia or another country or from the skies being aliens, which obviously right away makes you sound like a kook. Um, and she immediately thinks that he's lying. Uh, that he kidnapped her and that he's trying to tell her that, uh, you know, th- there's been an attack. We're in a bomb shelter right now. Uh, there's been a fallout and he's one of those doomsday preppers. Uh, as you get to know his character, you learn that he's been preparing for this for a long time. Obviously as a bomb shelter, it's all kind of laid out and stuff. Uh, then we're kind of introduced to another character who's in the bomb shelter and she explains to him like, Hey, this guy's no good. Like he kidnapped me. And he's like, no, 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 no. I helped him build this. Uh, as soon as I seen, I seen an attack and I ran to the safest place I thought, which was this bomb shelter. So then there becomes this very interesting dynamic where you're like, okay, is this guy lying to, is John Goodman lying at all? Is this chick just reading too much into it is there really an attack what's going on upstairs there's all kind of different um clues and keys to to different plot twists uh or not really plot twists but different ways that the plot could go and you're you're trying to figure it out the whole time you're playing guessing games because they keep it very secretive obviously until reveals happen um and it might surprise you what actually happens in the film and it might not uh depending on which way you lean so one thing I really liked was John Goodman's performance. He is awesome. Uh, he plays this uh, character perfect because as an audience, you're not supposed to know whether he is telling the truth or not. Uh, and he does a good job of playing both sides, if you will, where you can see both points and you can see weird things about him. But hey, he might just be a weird guy. I mean, you have to be a weird guy to make a bomb shelter, right? Uh, But then again, it's like, well, he's a little really weird, so you'd have to be crazy and possibly a kidnapping psychopath. So you really don't know. And it's fun to kind of find out what the answer is. Uh, I love the setting of the film. We spend uh, nearly the whole film in the uh, bomb shelter. It's cool laid out. Uh, There's some things that happen, montage scenes, different different things going on that's really well done, cool music and stuff like that. And then to me, it kind of, I'm not going to say much, but I felt like when we get to the end, people were doing things that I don't think they could have been doing, uh, kind of over the top-ish. And that was kind of of really hurt my rating, um, the whole end of the film. And I won't really say what happened, obviously, but it it ended up being uh, probably about an 8, 8.5 and dropping clear down to a 7. So I give this one a 7 out of 10. I like The Witch a little bit more. For those of you who missed my Witch review, it is on the last volume of Mini Shots. And on my YouTube channel. That affected it that much? Yeah, yeah. The people I went with liked it more than The Witch. I like The Witch more than this. Hmm. Crazy. It's still worth yeah, seeing. I, it's I know, like it's a fun movie. <laughs> 7 out of 10 is a good rating. Yeah, I was I was contemplating, man. We actually have it in town right now. Of course, we never got the witch, but so I'm still bummed out about that. The but, the one thing that because I've been forced, you know, we don't watch trailers, obviously, modes, but I've been forced to watch some lately when I go see the the movies in the theater. Yeah, and uh, one of the trailers that looks super sick is the green room, and I'm hoping my town gets it because it, it looks really really cool. It looks super. Yeah, fun. yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. 
think we talked about that in your end show, didn't we? The green yeah. room. I think it got brought up. Yeah, I, I think like, it has to do with like. Uh, well, I shouldn't a, say it looked cool. I haven't seen anything, but I just heard about it. Yeah, I think it has to do with a band who's like playing at who goes to play at this show, and it turns out that, that was, it's like a Nazi show. Like it's all like neo Nazis, and like shit goes down basically. Yeah, man, that was the one that I heard on uh, the Killer POV podcast, uh, and they okay. were talking it up, and it just fucked, man. The way they described it, I was like, that sounds so awesome, and they even said like it, it was amazing. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really I'm stoked to check that out, man. It's awesome. So right. yeah, what was the rating? Seven out of ten on yep. that one. All right. So uh next one up for me is again from Wow, Scream Factory. Uh, Whoa, you're killing it. Is it Necropolis? No, mine hasn't shipped yet. It's fucking <laughs> 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 fucking yeah. This one right here. It's a film I hadn't seen in years, man. I have the DVD. I believe I didn't even watch my copy. I think it's still sealed. <laughs> I swear to God. Um, so, you know, late 90s film starring a lot of, you know, big faces at the time, studio film. Uh, disturbing behavior. You know, I, I thought I I got it in the mail and I was just like, you know what? I'm going to fucking watch it right now. I just hadn't seen it in years and I was like, okay, got to check it out. Uh, of course, starring... Uh, James Marsden, uh, Katie Holmes, Nick Stahl in this one. You all know the faces. We all know the names. Um, and, you know, it, it's funny because I remember watching this film when it first came out and really, really enjoying it. Like, really enjoyed it. So I was like, well, I haven't seen it, I swear to God, since 98. So let's see how I like it now. Um, so the premise of the film is basically about uh, uh, James Marsden's character. He's from Chicago. Uh his brother is like just recently committed suicide. So his family decides to move from Chicago to, I believe like a little bay in, uh, in Washington. So to kind of get away from everything, just kind of leave that whole scene behind anyways. So upon getting into this new, this new, uh, you know, school in cradle bay is where, where it is. Uh, he gets introduced to, of course, Katie Holmes' character and Nick Stahl, and he becomes friends with them a little bit. And the thing with Nick Stahl is that he's like, he knows everything about everybody at the school and stuff. And he's, there, there's actually this really interesting scene where they're in the cafeteria, and it just, it's so high school, and it's actually executed quite well because it's so, I can just imagine going to a new school and meeting someone like this and having him describe how everyone in the school is part of this certain type of crew. Like, hey, we've got our skaters over here. We've got our nerds. We've got our jocks. And then, and of course, he goes, lastly, he explains about the blue ribbons. And it's like this group of people that they do everything together. They're kind of like this weird, like this posse that just doesn't let each other's hand go, you know. Anyways, Blue Ribbons, they're the guys that wear the the leather jackets. They're all perfect. They're all straight A's and things like that. They all help each other out and stuff. And But the thing is with this Blue Ribbon crew is that they, they're just almost too perfect. They're kind of strange, things like that. Nick Stahl's character. Would you say uh, their behavior is a little disturbing? It's a little disturbing, yeah. It's, it's to the point where it's like, okay, there's got to be something fucking wrong with this. But anyways, Nick Stahl's character, his name is Gavin in the film. He, uh, he actually witnesses something. Um, you know, he's like on top of this mountain, he sees something go down, somebody gets killed and the cop does nothing about it. And the cop is actually played by Steve Railsback, which is totally awesome. I uh, love Steve's, Steve Railsback. Um, he's been brought up on the podcast a lot lately, man. The guy's a great actor. Uh, he plays the officer in the film and uh, he's like, what the fuck? He's like, that makes no sense. Anyways, what went down in the scene was involving this guy from this blue ribbons. So anyways, he proceeds to tell, you know, um, 
Steve, played by Jane Marsden, um, you know, about what happened and stuff. And he's like, I don't fucking believe that, blah, blah, blah. But anyways, one thing leads to another. And, you know, he starts to realize that maybe something is up with this crew called the Blue Ribbons. They're acting really fucking strange. People are being kind of recruited. And that's essentially what happens in the film. Nick Stahl's character gets recruited. And then, yeah. And then shit kind of goes ape shit in the film. So now my thoughts on this one. Uh, honestly, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I, I was, <laughs> I remember when Screen Factory first announced this, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Really? They're going to release this, this bullshit. But, um, it's, it's a fun film, man. I think it's executed pretty cool. I think the ending is just outrageously hilarious. I had completely forgot how fucking funny the ending in this film is. It's like, it's one of those endings where it's so utterly ridiculous that you can't help, but it stuck with me for days. I watched this like, I don't know, five, six days ago. I thought about it. I swear to God, every day. It's just so ridiculous how the ending goes down in this one. But I do like the film, man. But it's one of those films where it's so of the times. It's very popular rise. You know, it just feels like a popular film. You know, you got all these big faces. You got this, you know, very kind of not generic uh, radio rock music, but, you know, bands of the time that, you know, the music is very recognizable. I actually like that time now. Like I didn't at the time, but like now, like I look back on it, like kind of fondly. And, you know, oddly enough, this one doesn't even feel that dated, even though it's 98, you know, the pants are still a little high. I don't know, man. It, it, it actually still kind of feels, you know, you know, kind of real modern. You know what I'm saying? You know, those 90s girls were sexy, though. Come on. Oh, yeah. Well, Katie Holmes, I swear to God, this is like her. She's this is probably like the sexiest she's ever looked in a film. I swear to God. She kind of plays like this oddball goth chick that you don't really know if she's like slutty or if she's just a bitch or like I kind of like her character, man. But uh, no, overall, the film is it's kind of interesting. I like the paranoia in it. I think the acting is actually pretty good. I think Katie Holmes is probably one of her best roles I've, I think I've ever seen her in. It's not like I'm really going out of my way to watch Katie Holmes films anyways. Uh, Nick Stahl's great in the film. Um, but yeah, there's some really, you know, kind of interesting tense moments with the Blue Ribbons and, you know, fights and things that are going on. But I think the the one character in this film that kind of steals it is the... Uh, he he's um i guess he's kind of like the janitor of the school or whatever the fuck he is he's he's this guy is basically at war with rats <laughs> you know he's like he's the guy that like lives doesn't really live in the basement but he works down there and you know and that's where nick Stahl's character he goes down there to like think and stuff like that in the bottom of the school and and just this character he's so fucking strange he's like he's like the biggest dork ever he's got these big thick you know coke bottle glasses he's at war he talks with a lisp he's like sounds crazy he's at war with rats i don't know i I just love that character man just it kind of fits into the weirdness of the film and stuff like that but you know honestly i don't think this movie would be you know that great without that ridiculously awesome ending. <laughs> i love the way it goes down even the wife started laughing we were watching this and she started laughing she's like that's so funny <laughs> the way it goes down i don't know there's something about it i don't know why they wrote it i believe there's actually an alternate ending on here which i intended to watch the film ended started bullshit with her totally forgot to watch the alternate ending i've never seen it so um but yeah i don't know i'd like to see what they did if it's completely opposite of what they actually went down on this film would be pretty funny but overall not a bad film i think it's uh definitely worth the watch transfer is good um not really a lot of special features on this uh blu-ray at all like i said there's an alternate ending ending deleted scenes and there's a commentary too which i believe these are ported over from the dvd i'm pretty sure that these are the exact same features if i remember correctly um but enjoyable film seven out of ten all right cool. I, I, I like it, man. It's fun. 
Cool. I have one more here, Moods, that I wanted to get to, so I'll be quick with this one. But uh, we have uh, Leprechaun Origins 2014. So. Oh, no way. (laughs) I was the guy that said that Leprechaun Origins wouldn't suck. Now, the moment that y'all waited so long for is now. I'm going to tell you if it if it sucked and you know, I tried to get moods to do this one for St. Patrick's day. Unfortunately, like our schedules, you know, he went on vacation and we didn't do it before we ended up fucking that up. But I decided to watch it anyway on St. Patrick's day along with leprechaun two and three. So I really went leapt out. I had that blu-ray set. I was, I was transfers. I was pretty into it, man. Uh, and leprechaun origins. Uh, I said it wouldn't suck and did it. No, it actually didn't. And uh, was it good? Eh, not really. So this one follows a group of college-age students who go to Ireland to kind of sightsee. They stop at this bar, and there's this guy who's like, oh, if you really – I could tell you're a history buff uh, talking to the lead girl. Well, if you're a history buff, I know a place you definitely want to check out. It's like this old, like, Celtic – or not Celtic, but I, I don't know. Uh, whatever. It, it's old and shit, and it's like stones or something. And he basically takes them out to one of his, like, guest houses and essentially – not spoiling too much because it happens in, like, the first, you know, beginning of the film. Uh, he leads them out there to kind of uh, be, like, sacrificed, I guess, to the, the leprechaun – uh, of the town and, and things like that because uh, he's angry. Um, if you would watch this as a Leprechaun sequel, it's awful because it's it's not – this Leprechaun is uh, like an animal almost. Uh, but if you just take it as like a creature feature, has nothing to do with the Leprechaun world, it's not that bad. Uh, it's essentially just a creature feature. Uh, I was hoping and praying that they tied it into the original somehow uh, because I thought this might have been like a prequel or something. But they, I did not see anything that they – any way that they tied it into the original or any of the other films unless I missed it. Um, one of the things that – and you know the big deal about Hornswoggle playing the leprechaun is completely pointless because it, it literally could have been CGI or – anybody in the costume and it wouldn't have made a difference because it's it's not like a it doesn't talk it's not like a uh like humanoid character it's like an animalistic type of deal uh and one of the things that i cannot stand and and this like severely hurts the film for me is they do this effect and i've seen it done in other films there's a werewolf film called the feeding that i've seen it done in Whenever the leprechaun is on screen, they use like a warped filter or like a like like CG type of like uh, like spooky type thing, and it, it all it is is to hide bad effects. That that at the end of the day, it's a stylistic choice to hide bad effects. I think so. I don't see any other reason because <laughs> it does not work. It just makes it look like like foggy or like uh, blurred. Like you know, it's like a blur effect. Uh, and it's supposed to make it look like supernatural or, or you know, like super powered or something. But really, it, j- it just makes it look like you're hiding bad effects. Um, so you never get like clear looks at this thing, which is so frustrating to me. Uh, the location is really good. And some of the characters, such as the guy that leads them to this uh, little house, really cool character there. Um, and I honestly didn't find like the teenagers or like the young adults to be that annoying either. 
it's very basic. It's by the numbers. Nothing special about it at all. The only thing that I'll say that makes it slightly above average is some of the shots. There's like helicopter shots and shit like that actually look pretty good and, and set up the location pretty well. Uh, one of the things that really bugged me also was the film ends and then there's like, I swear to God, like a 15 minute credit sequence. And it, it's like a flash of credits and then it's like a gold tinted like like there's like gold and like it, it like just these these like shots of like this stuff and i was like oh this is how they're gonna tie it into the original like they're gonna do something here in this like 15 minutes where they're like cutting between credits and like footage of the film but it's literally no- unless i missed something it's like nothing it's completely pointless uh so i watched all those credits for freaking nothing <laughs> um overall it's slightly above average at a 5.5 out of 10 it's not a bad little creature feature uh i give it slightly above average based on those uh shots in the film uh very by the numbers and basic uh it's not a leprechaun movie at least not the leprechaun movie that we know uh but is it the worst leprechaun film no it's actually not which is saying something (laughs) so it's better than uh the space one part four yeah you might have more fun with the space one is like it's so bad it's good but it's, it's definitely a better made movie that's for damn sure i actually don't even find part four so bad it's good at all <laughs> I, just, I know you I don't <laughs> i just hate that it's terrible I, ugh. <laughs> this is not good so i'm a little surprised man you were coming in you know above five on that one have you seen it no, I still haven't seen it. I'm just surprised. Just cons- yeah, just well, every, it's another one of those films on that everybody fucking hates, and they're like overly harsh on it simply because it's a sequel in a franchise that, honestly, guys, have you seen Leprechaun? It's not that good. I love it. It's one of my favorite franchises, but it's not good. They're terribly acted. They're, you know, make no sense, and they're ridiculous and punny. Yeah, yeah. Like, don't be offended that they made a leprechaun movie that is like more it's actually it's a completely serious movie if that counts for anything like it's it's not like jokey at all that's actually one thing i've heard about it yeah Yeah, it's just not as bad as everybody says it's like it's an average if it came out and was just called like origins or something and like the leprechaun was just some beast in the woods. Can you imagine how bad that title would be? Yeah, <laughs> just called but, you, you know, it, like if it was called Beast in the Woods or something like that, you know, like people would be like, oh yeah, it's like one of those Walmart titles that you pick up for like seven bucks or ten bucks, and it's like kind of throwaway, but it's not that bad. Um, that's what this is. So yeah, yeah. five point five out of ten. Nice. Alrighty, so uh, last up for me here is um, the newly released, uh, still can't even believe this movie got this type of release, but from Arrow Films uh, from 1984, The Mutilator. Um, it just fucking blows my mind that these movies are getting these type of releases, <laughs> man. It's, it's crazy to me, man. Crazy. Um, yeah, this is really amazing. Um, is this the that- one you did in your marathon with Dylan? Yeah, yeah, this is the first, <laughs> we're gonna have a good yeah, time. Yeah, that was, like, the highlight of the marathon for me, and, like, I was like, oh, like, that's, like, the one movie I want to check out, like, out of all of those. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it, that's that's definitely one thing about this movie that's very interesting and kind of separates itself 
uh, from a lot of slasher films, well, of, of all time, really, it has this really kind of oddball soundtrack. Like, you don't hear music like that in slasher films. It's just like this really kind of upbeat and happy music. You're just like, what the fuck? But it actually does work, though. It really does. It's kind of strange because, well, yeah. Um, basically, the plot of this one is... Uh, the movie starts out with uh, with Ed Jr. You know, he's a little kid and his dad is at work and it's his dad's birthday and he wants to please his dad. So he's cleaning his dad's gun in the kitchen, of course. And unfortunately, it goes off and he ends up shooting his mom and killing her. Anyways, his dad comes home, you know, <laughs> and it's this really oddball fucking scene. He kind of pulls up his wife and she's dead. And, you know, he just takes a big swig of his whiskey and he tries to feed her some whiskey. It's like really fucking strange. I absolutely love the scene. It's just so oddball. The first time I watched that, I, I never really, you know, I, I was like, okay. But now the more I watch it, I'm just like, that scene is so strange. Um, but anyways, it jumps to the present time. And which is, I believe, 10, 15 years later, something like that, whatever. Um, anyways, his uh, his father gives, you know, Ed Jr., his son, a call. And he basically says, uh, you know, I need you to go and um, lock up the, the summer vacation house for the wintertime. So he takes it as great. You know, I'll go and do that. Calls up the buddies. Let's go do this. Uh, you know, let's go drink some beers, you know, R&R session and stuff like that. So they head out to the, the cabin where they start getting picked off. One by one, of course, in uh, various fashions. Um, <laughs> now, my thoughts on this film. Yeah, getting back to the soundtrack. This movie opens up, and it just has this really oddball, happy feel to it. And you're just like, where did this soundtrack come from? Like, whoever thought that this was going to be a good idea, you know, just amazes me. Because I, I bet you a lot of people even look at the music and go, what the fuck? But I think it's brilliant. I think it really does work. But, um, you know, overall, The Mutilator is a very, very average slasher film, but it's super entertaining. Now, the one thing about this movie that uh, that I find plagues it is the pacing. The pacing in the film is kind of, you know, it's it's a little choppy. I'll just, I'll just use the word choppy because I find that like, you know, a lot of slasher films, you know, something will happen. Then you'll have a little bit of downtime. Something else happened. Well, that happens in this film. I just find the downtime at times is like almost too much in between like these kind of really, you know, kind of cool scenes and things like that. So the pacing kind of hurts the film a little bit. In my opinion, I've always kind of felt it kind of, it's a little slow at times, but on the flip side, I think that the kills in this movie are pretty cool pretty cool there's some really interesting stuff in here there's a there's a really cool kill with a gaff um i won't say exactly what happens with it but it's a really cool scene and overall the gore effects are actually pretty damn cool which i never really noticed on the old dragon dvd because the dragon dvd is kind of muddy it's you know it's very kind of shitty looking and things like that this transfer is absolutely fucking beautiful it really showcases the gore effects and what they did and stuff and you know, it's kind of unfortunate that they never got to do some of the effects how they wanted to do them because they just simply didn't work out. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny, which is kind of cool because I watched the uh, the the documentary that was actually made for this release called Fall Breakers. And it's literally, you know, made by Arrow Films and it's new. All the materials new. Of course, they got everyone back, pretty much all the main characters, uh, the director and you know, both directors and stuff. Uh, in interviews and they're explaining exactly everything in this film and it just makes it so much more intriguing you know after you watch the film and you go back and watch it and stuff and it's just it's really really well done um i highly recommend this release it's just fantastic but 
you know, getting back to the film, I think the characters, it's one of those films where they're all likable. There's just a ton of likable characters in this film, really kind of goofy things, but not overly goofy to the point where you're like, what the fuck, man? Like, he's just trying too hard, blah, blah, blah. You know, like some films where like, you know, the, the jokester is just over the top and just ridiculous and stuff like that. There's just scenes that you can tell when you're watching this film that were completely just kind of ad-libbed and just kind of on the spot, you know, improvised and things like that, which they did, you know, they did things like that, which is kind of cool, but, um, very, very, it, you know, it's a fun film. It's a fun film. It's not a great slasher film. The kills definitely are the highlight of the film, along with the music. It's pretty cool. Some pretty cool. It's actually not bad cinematography, considering the director, um, Buddy Cooper, was his first and only film that he ever directed. You know, it's it's kind of a shame, but kind of cool in the documentary, getting back to the documentary, that, you know, he even talks about how he would love to do a sequel to this film in this documentary that was just made a couple months ago. So, and he's like, I would just love to do it. I have an idea. I even have a script for it. I'm just like, what the fuck is <laughs> really crazy. So, um, I think that would be just outstanding, but, uh, yeah, the mutilator overall fun film to watch. Not the best in the world. I give it six and a half out of 10. Uh, as for the, you know, the documentary fall breakers, definitely check out fall breakers. It's really in depth. Uh, awesome interviews with all the cast members, the, you know, the directors and stuff. And they just, they go into depth. They just talk about everything. I mean, the whole making of the film is on this documentary. It's really intriguing how it was filmed in buddy, uh, buddy Cooper's, you know, small town. And, you know, he was kind of, you know, he was, he was very well known there. I guess his dad was like a big, uh, you know, he's very well known in the small town and so was he and stuff. And so they go into that and it's, it's really kind of cool how a lot of the people in the film were associated, like the little boy was his son and blah, 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 and things like that. But yeah, really good documentary. It's full length. It's like, uh, 80 minutes or something like that. So yeah, definitely worth it. But the mutilator, awesome, awesome release. The transfer is just to die for it. So like, it's fucking amazing. It really is absolutely amazing. They even go into like, you know, talking about 42nd Street and things like that, um, which is kind of interesting because how they went into that and how it ran on 42nd Street for like so long and stuff. And oddly enough, I had actually watched uh, uh, I'd watched pieces a couple days ago, you know, the Grindhouse release. And I watched the documentary that's on it called 42nd Street Forever. And it's a full length documentary about 42nd Street in New York and the history of it, like the rise and fall of it and things like that. And it's just absolutely fucking amazing to watch. I recommend everybody that gets the pieces documentary, uh, pieces uh, Blu-ray to check out the documentary because it is so worth your time. I mean, pieces just in all its glory. I mean, it, the high def transfer is just ridiculously awesome. It's so good. Check out 42nd street documentary. Also, it's just amazing. Um, I guess I probably could have done the, the documentary review separately, but <laughs> whatever. But anyways, it just the 42nd Street led into one into the other. But really good stuff. Mutilator. Awesome. Check it out. It's good stuff. All righty. So that is going to conclude the third What We Watched show um, in, uh, what, 75 episodes? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of fun, man. These are such fun shows to do. Like, what do you, what, how are you feeling, man? I love honestly these are some of my favorite shows to do because I really can just talk about anything I want and you know even when we do what we watch regularly we usually limit it to two or three films so it's nice to kind of talk about you know a few more and I I just it's they're relaxing I I just always have liked the what we watched shows and uh, I think the best time to do them usually is either after a long break where we haven't recorded in a while because you have a lot of films to talk about 
or after yeah. like a big show like the top 10 of 2002 um i mean you could have unloaded all the 2002 films that didn't make our top 10 list if we wanted you know but uh yeah mm-hmm. Th- those are always fun i really really enjoy these shows let let us know listeners if you enjoy them though yeah exactly yeah i mean when i was when i was on holidays i didn't really watch any movies i actually brought uh the um the video nasties documentaries with me and i ended up watching like all like 13 hours of both of them again (laughs) so just like late at night and stuff while i was sitting in the hotel room um but yeah i didn't really watch like any movies at all so pretty much everything i'd watched was in this like past week so kind of came home and i was like I gotta, I gotta buckle down and watch some fucking movies here. <laughs> I did watch a lot though. Like I had a list of, I actually added like three more. I had like thirteen movies on here that I could have done. So, yeah, yeah. Put you in, probably put, watched more than I did in the time that I was, you know, while you was not watching stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, other ones that were like, you know, on the cut here to do. I mean, I watched Castle of Blood from nineteen sixty four. Uh, I rewatched Pieces, which we have reviewed, but, you know, I, I guess I didn't really review the 42nd Street documentary, but, you know, just talked about it. But House of Wax from 53, Monster Dog from 84, uh, The Mildew from Planet, Zondar, however you want to pronounce the new Necrostorm film. Watched that one, a couple other ones. So I've watched um, 12 movies since we recorded Yeah, last time. Nice. Well, I actually, I I even watched Hellraiser. I watched the Arrow release of Hellraiser, and I watched Leviathan, the documentary. I've been just watching documentaries like fucking crazy, man. I just love them. Um, Leviathan is pretty good, man. It's it's pretty much like, um, it's just a lot of praising of Clive Barker and how how much he's a genius. Well, he is. <laughs> and and they just talk about. It's funny. It's kind of too bad though when you watch Leviathan because there is you know updated like new review uh, new reviews new interviews with a few people unfortunately there is none with clive barker like all the the footage that they show clive barker is from about the time where they filmed hellraiser like 86 87 kind of thing and uh of course ashley lawrence all the footage of her is like older too so i was kind of disappointed in that a little bit that there was nothing new for them um but it is mostly about just the creation of hellraiser like how they created um, you know, the Cenobites and like how they came to be and just praising Clyde Barker for how creative he is and like just being a genius. They well, just shit, said he should have reviewed that. <laughs> <laughs> but like how he's just unbelievable because, you know, he, they he, they would say something and he would take that idea and he just kind of roll with it and he'd be like, you know, doing this and doing that. And he just multitasking and it's just like guys in, insane, really. But uh, mm-hmm. um, but I do have to say, though, you know, Hellraiser, because I heard from a few different people that the Hellraiser transfer wasn't that good and stuff. It looks great. It really does look good. So yeah, it's definitely worth it. But you know, if you got a region two Blu-ray player, pick up the set, man. It's good stuff. Sweet. <laughs> documentaries, documentaries, man. Fuck that. That 42nd street documentary is so good, man. I know you'd love it. It's great. It's so interesting to hear, man. It's really good stuff. So, but uh, anyways, going off on a tangent again, I think we're like roughly four hours into the show or something like that. So we might as well wrap it up. Yes, that was awesome. I want to thank everybody for calling into the show, leaving the voicemails. We love them. Rob, you always have great stories. And everyone else, Count Dracula, Lawrence, and whoever else called in and uh, left us a line. We appreciate it, man. Awesome. Absolutely. 
So, uh, like Moot said, we love voicemails, so if you want to leave one, you can at 724-426-6665. Again, that is 724-426-6665. Uh, follow us on Twitter. I actually tweet quite frequently now uh, because I kind of list what I'm watching and stuff with my 365-day movie challenge. That's 22 Shots Podcast on Twitter. Facebook, the best group around. We're near 700 members strong. We've been 700. We've lost, like, lost a few back to 700. It's like weird. <laughs> but uh, tw- uh, Facebook.com slash group slash 22 Shots Podcast. Uh, also, you can follow our YouTube creations. Uh, I am Double Shot J on YouTube, where my new video series is uh, pretty entertaining, I think, where I just talk about uh, – it's essentially what we watched in video form. So check that out. Of course, the homie Mood 616 on YouTube. That guy is constantly putting out great content that I sometimes watch, and he yells <laughs> at me for it. <laughs> I, I noticed that you did watch a couple of the top yeah, 10 Tuesdays. See? That was interesting. Yeah, did you watch yeah. the Hammer one? I did. I did. Oh, you did watch well, that uh, all films I've never seen. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, the website, 22shotsmoodsandhorror.com, there you can find something that people, I swear, do not know about, and that is our ratings. Everything that we ever rate yeah. is listed on the section at the top of the page that says ratings. You click that, and then it's alphabetical, and then you click, like, for example, you click B. And it'll take you to every film that starts with a B that we rated, such as The Babadook, Badass Cinema, Backlot Murders, Bad vs. Worst, Bait, Banshee Chapter, Barrio Tells, the list goes on and on. But not only that, not only does it say our ratings, but it actually has a link to the episode where we talked about it. And then when you click that, you will see down in the descriptions, like I just clicked, The Doctor and the Devils. If you go down... To the description of that episode, at 2 hours, 29 minutes, and 53 seconds, we talk about the Doctor and the Devils. So, that is a key, guys. So, all you people that ask, like, hey, have you ever reviewed this? Just check the ratings page, dog. And then just follow <laughs> the steps, you know? Yeah, dog. Uh, also, if you're curious about our top 10 list, those are published on the uh, website as well in, like, picture form. So, you don't have to listen to the whole episode, but I don't know why you wouldn't to anyway but if you know you just need a quick reference like oh i think i think i remember that that was on jp's list you can check uh also we have the hall of fame and hall of pain which is uh of course whenever we rate a film really high or combined really low it gets entered into the either hall of fame for good stuff or the hall of pain for bad stuff and i actually got to update it with may because may has made our hall of fame uh, and all kind of other stuff on there as well. I'm playing a 22 shot screenshot game right now. That's really fun. Uh, people are liking that. And also check us out on Horophilia, which is our home where you can download the show, subscribe to us on iTunes, as well as all kind of other cool podcasts. Uh, it's a whole network of podcasts, guys. So with that said, I don't think I left anything out except for rate us on iTunes. Damn it. That always helps us. And it actually did help us quite a bit when you guys did. Uh, So with that said, I'm JP. That's Moods. We're done. We're through. We're out. Peace.